four of us on hand today. Tyler is streaming from uh, Parts Unknown. And we're going to kick things off by talking about everybody's favorite subject matter. The state of the comic book industry. Nice. Let's go. Thriving. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous article that was done by Sketched. Um, and they're an online publication and, that, you know, talks about comics. And yeah. they do like a, I don't know if it's annual or exactly how often they get into it, but they, they check in with retailers. Um, and... I want to actually shout out the name of the... I want to shout out the writer because, again, it's a tremendous David piece. Harper. Thank you, David Harper. Uh, yep. I'm going to reference this a lot throughout this conversation because it forms the basis of what we're going to be talking about. I highly encourage anybody who finds this conversation interesting to read the whole thing for yourself. Um, there will be stuff that is left out of this just due to the nature of time. With those things in play... Uh, hello and welcome to the show. If you're watching us live, happy to have you guys. Um, let's get into it. I'm reading directly from it now. Coming off a multi-year high that began in 2020, things were solid when I checked in with comic shops in January. Sales were steady, manga was popping, and other categories had seen growth. While there were points of consternation, healthy numbers can act as a balm for even the most troubled comic retailer's soul. Ultimately, the good outweighed the bad last year. But it was clear there were storms, storm clouds on the horizon, if not there already. It wasn't because sales were down dramatically, or even across the board. It was because everything was harder and more exhausting than it had been before, with several retailers not even understanding how they came out of 2022 ahead. It's like Bruno Batista from Dublin's Big Bang Comics put it at the time, quote, the uncertainty is bigger than ever for retailers. They were hopeful, of course. Comic retailers are a hearty bunch, passionate individuals eager to do their job and do it well. But doubt was seeping into the picture. Shops were surviving or even thriving in some cases. They just didn't always feel very good about it. If that was the case then, then the bad vibes have only gotten more pervasive since. Just as before, it isn't because everyone's sales have evaporated. Some shops are level or even up from 2022, albeit fewer than before. It's just a lack of faith in publishing partners and the material itself taking hold, particularly when it comes to single issues. That's for good reason. Much of it isn't working. More than that, the job has gotten harder and the margins tighter. That was more palpable during the boom times of 2021. Higher costs are easier to deal with when everything was selling. But as Joe Field of Concord, California's Flying Colors Comics put it to me, sales shifting back towards pre-pandemic levels, but with post-pandemic costs is, quote, not a recipe for success. That's been a consistent message throughout the year. Much of the positive energy and sentiment has dissipated, replaced with uncertainty and frustration. It's a make or break time in the direct market and one that deserves focus. So today we're going to give it just that. As we will be looking at the year so far in comics retail, examining how things are going, what's working, what isn't, amongst a group of retailers as we head into the back half of a year filled with question marks. That is 
gloomy. Yeah. Yeah, even even off that, like my own personal experience in Britain, you know, coming into the reality of post-Brexit, January hit us like a freight train. Um, you know, I, I left my job to go to school in September, um, and now, like, we, we, we are drowning. And it's not just us, um, you know, so I can only imagine what a comic book retailer is going through, especially when these companies are continually raising prices in the midst of continual escalating financial hardships for everyone. Yeah, you can't offset those things. And I think even on that end, the the retailers have to deal with costs being passed on to them from publishers with you know the increase in paper stock and uh, just costs associated to transporting goods. So that goes down the line, you know, from them to the retailer to us. And it just makes it much more costly. Yeah, and... This is, I want to say this up front before we continue. This is going to be a bit of a downer look at the industry as it stands right now. But I also want to say that the headline of this article is funny and I think it's, it's pretty appropriate. It could be better, but it could be worse. Um... It's not as bad as it's been in the past. The situation is not as dire as it's been. You know, shops are making more money by and large than they were 10 years ago. But that doesn't take into account what you guys talked about, which is rising costs of everything Um, and interest in comics waning a bit, um, which you're going to hear about here in just a moment. Referring back to the article, take this line from Brower. Brower is one of the sellers uh, who said, while there are certainly winners in today's market, I don't think I don't know that there will be big winners anymore. Even the best sellers for us sell a fraction of what best sellers sold in years past. And that's from Patrick Brower out of uh, Challengers Comics and Conversation in Chicago. And that's damning because the best sellers even a few years ago were selling a fraction of what they were selling a few years before that continues to diminish yeah uh, diminish and go for it so removed from, uh retail stores at this point like i am completely digital besides the occasional like you know collection that i grab but even then i'm getting at like at those like half price websites and stuff so um, I, it is the only I guess day I have, like whether or not there's new stores opening up near B, and there aren't really. So, um, this is this is very interesting to me. Right, and I think that's a good point. Um, you know, let's talk about how the pandemic impacted the industry. Right, we saw a lot of store closures, not as many as we necessarily thought we would, uh, but they did happen, and some people. I mean, look, if you live in the Midwest or if you live in a small town, maybe that shop that you went to that was it might have been 20 minutes away. It might have been 30 minutes away on a drive. Maybe that was the only shop in a two hour radius of you. 
Um, or maybe an hour rating. Maybe you don't want to drive an hour. Maybe that's difficult. Maybe you don't have the means of getting to a shop anymore like you used to. That impacts a lot of people that then do what Tyler said. Maybe they go digital. Maybe they decide they're going to buy their books from an online retailer like a Midtown Comics, which is the same as the rich getting richer. Midtown Comics is a dominant retailer in the market. And we have people in our community who order their books directly from them online. And then that's a double dip because Midtown Comics is also um, uh, Lunar, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, it go ahead. It, it's interesting because um, I actually went to Anyone Comics maybe last week or the week prior. And they actually opened up a new store in Long Island. Or, oh, sorry, in Long Island City. Really? Called Everyone Comics. Yeah. Wow, good for them. Me neither. And so... Uh, I haven't yet gone to visit, but I think that's indicative of like proximity. There's so many people in New York that volume wise and Demetrios, the owner who we've interviewed, if, if you guys want to go check out that um, on the YouTube, but uh, they've been able to grow because, and he does a good job of catering and you know, bringing you into the story to other things, magic, the gathering games in the back. And even when, when I went there last time, there were people in the basement doing uh, playing some series of board games so, like you have to sort of break outside of that box of comics to some degree um, but they're lucky enough that they're able to continue to grow and see that growth and uh, I think it speaks to the individual retailer as well that and that that it, that does matter and I think it's also worth pointing out that the retailers who were interviewed for this are not all the retailers that exist sure um, so you know, every every store's experience is going to be different due to the nature of the fact that the stores are run by individuals. Uh, you don't necessarily have that in Best Buy because the young teen that sells you DVDs at Best Buy is just that person. Whereas when you go to the local comic shop, the dude that owns that place, they control what you see, what you don't see. Um, the narrative around the books that are available for purchase, maybe they're racist, maybe they're a douchebag and you you know you don't want to go anymore. Those mm-hmm. factors don't really exist in other bigger types of uh, stores and chains. So uh, let's let's move forward. Uh, Joe Field out of Flying Colors Comics in California said, um, it's sad to say that everything is down when asked about you know sales. Um, what Flying Colors is seeing is a painful combination of fewer people buying and each of those individuals purchasing less. That resulted in a sales dip of 17% so far this year. Over the last, this is him again, Field, over the last couple of years, an average transaction would be about $45. And this year, we're running in the $40 range. When you take that drop and then reduce the number of total transactions, that's what gets you to 17% down from 2022 in terms of sales. It's interesting that uh, from 45 to 40, I also imagine the number of books, because they've seen a a smaller decrease in the volume, that also probably means that even though it's a $5 difference, the cost of those books uh, have seen that increase. And so you're getting less volume, Mm. but you're still paying out a similar or increased amount. And we've seen that across the board with the spike is the spikes of prices. 
Atomic Hound points out that DCBS is lunar. Thank you. I appreciate the mm. correction. Um, look at that. David Acevedo. I got to drive like 40 minutes to an hour. Damn. That's rough. Commitment. Yeah, that's rough. Um, and that's I, – I, I take a train to get to my LCS, and that's like a 30-minute train ride. But there's no gas cost associated with that. So when you factor that in, what – David is saying is that if, if that's both ways, you're talking about a near two hour drive. And that and and maybe you don't give a damn. Maybe you're like, you know what, it's worth it for me to do that. But is it worth it in gas to do that? Hmm. That's tough. Um now, imagine imagine what? doing that commute and then you get something like uh AXE judgment day. Like, <laughs> like a, Well right. I, yeah, I was the next about one to say, might not be worth it. <laughs> this this last week's uh worth of Powell's polls sure wasn't worth the two hour trips gas. <laughs> like listen, it wasn't worth the cash either. Let me tell yeah. you what. <laughs> uh, it wasn't even worth the digital codes. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Not for that not for health not for that infinite comic <laughs> Hellfire Gala. Mm-mm. That disaster. Um I broke this out into the next bit, into positives and negatives. I didn't want to just read from the article directly and read comments. I wanted to establish that, yes, there are positives, but there are also negatives. So we're going to go over those, and we're going to break this down. I'm going to start with the positives. And I think a lot of these are predictable. I think a lot of this stuff is stuff we've talked about already. So one clear example, you guys will will be obvious. Some stores seeing big numbers for Dawn of DC because the overall quality of books has been higher. It's not just Batman, as Superman books and Green Lantern and others are seeing growth as well. And that was a key throughout this whole article, was that quality content, quality comic books, seem to be a bigger driver of sales. We've regaled how good uh, Superman books have been recently. And that quality is actually resulting in greater sales. Look at that. What a big shock. You put good books out, people show up. Hmm. Yep. Wild. I know, right? Even Batman. Batman's been, I think Batman's been fantastic. The Chip Zdarsky Batman stuff. Even mm-hmm. Detective Comics, Rom V. You know, it's exciting. People are into this stuff. Another big hit was Void Rivals number one. Hmm. And it took something that a lot of creators don't do, but some do, to be fair, but a lot don't, which is that the creative team put the work in to call retail shops and let them know what was going to happen in the book. Obviously, we know now Void Rivals debuted the Energon universe, which is the shared universe with Transformers and G.I. Joe, the Hasbro stuff. They called retailers to let them know. One retailer said, I was ready to order... 25 copies of this comic book before they called me i ordered 100 i have 15 left that's tremendous not bad that's great that sucks that they creators had to be the ones calling like well yeah that's the that's the image thing also skybound specifically i think is very good with talking to shops and doing cool shop things like remember when um united states of what, what's that what's that weed book that came out um there was like a weed book that came out from skybound yeah. and there was also um die 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 
Oh, the which his- was like a surprise drop that was like a Kirkman, um, Chris Burnham book, I think. Yeah. Um, so they're they, I think they work specifically with retailers very well. Um, not even not, not even Image as a whole, but specifically Skybound. Hmm. I feel like Scott Snyder did quite a bit of that too, especially in the early days. Yep. Uh, Robert Kirkman is a is a perfect example of a grinder in comics. He mm. understands because Invincible and The Walking Dead didn't start off doing great numbers. He understands mm. that the connection with the retailer is one of the major things that can help you sell books because if they say, hey, we're going to push this Walking Dead thing and we're going to get it in the hands of, I don't know, 20 of our of our people, maybe that's 20 new people who then go online and talk about it and, and increase the profile of that comic book. Invincible is what it is today because of word of mouth and nothing else. It was it, it was already over when the show debuted. So no one can say, oh, it got the Walking Dead type bump. That's not mm-hmm. the case. That's hard work on the creative team's part. Hustle. Yeah. Uh, moving forward in the positives, characters who've been in movies recently, like Miles, Gwen, and Spider-Punk generated interest at shops, as did DC Books mentioned by James Gunn as inspiring mm-hmm. his new universe. Yeah, we talked about that too. Like, I, like surely there was going to be some sort of increase because he's been so chatty about that stuff. Well, and we've talked about that since day one. Yeah. It's I, almost like when you have characters that exist in yeah. a place already, you should be able to find them. I, right. I almost hate how novel an idea that was because it just makes sense to us, you know? Yeah. Even, even James Gunn recently, like, he just tweeted out hyping up DC's Eisner wins. You know, like oh. having someone that big, you know, just even, it, a, a tweet or a zit or whatever the fuck is called right now. Um, skeet, I think it is. Oh, yeah. So James Gunn skeeted out the, this uh, this news. And like that's the, the that's the most minimum amount of effort to do something. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that helps sales across the board for for collected stuff. James Gunn is a bigger name than every single comic book writer combined. So that'll definitely do it. Yeah. Um, and we've got a lot of people, by the way, sharing their stories in chat of their LCS experience and stuff like that. I love seeing that. Please keep it up. Um, and I love the fact that you guys make the pilgrimage. That's a special thing that only we share with each other. What other industry is it that you do this kind of thing? You know, no one no one really goes anymore to be like, I got to go get my DVDs for the week. You know, that's not really a thing anymore. This is the last bastion, you know, music used to make the trip to the music shop or Blockbuster or what have you. All that's done. Comics is the last one. So it's special to me. Uh, Evergreen graphic novel sales have been good with owners like Jen King from Space Cadets Collection in Texas saying, Quote, we can hardly keep evergreen graphic novels in stock. By the way, Jen King is awesome. I met her at New York Comic Con last year. Nice. Um, but that's that's true, and we know that to be true about evergreen graphic novels because when you go to any website, if you if you type in, you know, top ten Batman books, it's always the same books. If you type in, you know, best Marvel stories, it's always the same ones. And so it's a it's a it's a it's a repeating effect where the same books that have been selling are the ones that are going to keep selling because those are the ones that everybody puts on those lists and talks about. And so they can't keep them on the stands. I mean, a good problem to have, I guess. Right. 
Yeah. As long as they can keep the, as long as the the publishers can keep pumping that out, then you know they, there's there's that piece of lifeline I feel, and then at that point it becomes the job of the retailer to be like, hey, this is great. This is how you get deeper. This is how you continue the yeah. story. This is and uh, that's where, uh, again, bringing up Demetrius from Anyone Comics, that, that's what he does, right? That he he comes in and he's like. Oh yeah, you know what? You liked Invincible? Well, check it out. Robert Kirkman, the writer, did this. The artist X Y Z did this. Like you're, you engage with the individual, you bring them back, you become that source, that point of of trust for an individual, and that's customer service at the end of the day. And I think a lot of the the retailers that succeed, like like Anyone Comics, they they supplement with other stuff. You know, Anyone Comics has drink and draw events. You know, they have game nights, I believe, right? Um, yes. So, a lot of these comic shops that like just do comics, as as much as it sucks, you can't just do comics at a comic book shop anymore. Um, you kind of have to have something else to supplement that, um, at least to succeed enough to even open up another shop. So, yeah. Especially if you are speaking about Western comics, right? Like, most of these places now have to sell manga as well. Um, and mm. there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But they can't just sell, you know, Marvel, DC, Image, take your pick. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. I guess different, you know, different times call for different strategies. Um, unfortunately, though, those are the positives that I had. Mm. Those are the positives that I took out of this article for the state of comics right now. And long list. Yeah. And in years prior, the list has been longer. There have been more positives and, and good things to speak of. It seems as though the retailers are just down on selling comics, not necessarily even because sales are down. It's because everything is harder. Um, and, and, and that's what I'm going to get into now. So, Retailers were asked, quote, what isn't working? And one owner said, everything is the succinct answer to this. And then they added, I don't remember seeing regular customers so despondent about what they're buying. Mm. Hmm. Another what they're buying. Wow. Right. It's weird. When you read the article, it's almost like the, the retailers are describing that um, buyers are like doing it because they do it if that makes yeah. sense like it's zombies natural. they actually exactly use... how yeah go yeah ahead. Uh, it's exactly um uh, uh how it uh, we've talked about that you know the a lot of collectors will just come in and pick up batman you know uh and that's you know or all these people that pick up spider-man all the time and then go online and bitch about it you know it's just they come in and they pick it up but there's no passion there you know, they they've fallen into this like just habit of well I'm gonna go to the store, and I think because they also don't diversify as much, then to your point, Kale, it they limit themselves to well I'm only gonna read this batch, and I don't like it, and so this is gonna be reflective of what I feel the industry is at or the quality of books at X publisher is at because well the ones that I've always gotten are no longer the same and feel different and I don't like that and I'm not willing to spend that extra dollar 
or I guess actually three, four dollars to go pick something else up that maybe I'll have a better time with and change mindset. Yeah, I, I can speak for myself. I mean, you guys know I buy a lot of comics and the unfortunate reality is that I don't read a lot of them. Mm. Like a lot of the books that I read don't get read because, you know, it takes time to do it. Um, and obviously I have a responsibility to read a certain amount for the show as it is. Um, but there are books that I, I read, I bought, I bought <laughs> James Tinian's entire Batman run. And I don't know if I read a single issue. I'm not even sure. Jeez. Yep. And with, with the amount of you have, who knows when you're going to get to that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Comic book, like Wednesday Warriors are total masochists. And honestly, I think a lot of them like it. <laughs> like, I think a lot, like, I think there is some weird pleasure with being able to complain about stuff that I think uh, some Wednesday Warriors have, uh, especially Spider-Man fans. Uh, but like, I'm, I'm one of them. Like, I've, uh, I, I, I don't collect physically but I still have every physical issue of Saga, even the new ones. Like, that's the oh, only one I still yeah. collect. Same. And I'm I'm behind. I'm behind, like, a whole arc right now. Um, but, yeah, comic fans are just built different, I think. Well, but also, I, I, I do think it speaks also to the quality of the, the material, hmm. you know? Zebwell stuff is good, but it's, it's just Spider-Man stuff, you know? It's good if you come here for Spider-Man stuff, but what landmark stuff is happening in that book? You know, there aren't chances being taken. Uh, I'm sorry. There's did no. You, did you not see the death of Miss Marvel? I'm. Uh huh. And then three days before I saw the death of Miss Marvel, <laughs> I knew she was coming back because Marvel announced it, and then brought back her whole. Whoa! I just got real mad about that. that <laughs> but like, you know, they're not taking chances, and then they're utter undercutting the chances that they take. So, so there's nothing there for anybody. I'm going to go back to the negatives. Uh, and this is the first bullet point that I have. Single issues have been a hard sell. With readers seeming to be buying book, the books just because, as we just outlined, without much enthusiasm. And a lot of the, book, the big tentpole books haven't been working. Ultimate Invasion's price point hurt its sales. A lot of the retailers in this article talked about how Ultimate Invasion, number one, being an $8.99 comic, made it so that they just couldn't justify ordering a ton of copies. And that a lot of people saw that price point and said, yeah, that's not happening, and put it down. I I will never buy an $8.99 floppy issue of a comic. That's insane. It's bad. Can't do it, dude. That's it's not worth the risk. I used to buy I used to buy the same Marvel trades at that price. Two more dollars, and you basically get an image first trade. Like that's more value. That's the thing. It, it's a it's a comparison between the value you get, and we talk about this all the time of how disposable is that comic after you read it. Am I gonna get maybe yes, yeah, sixty four pages? Sure of a bigger book, maybe bigger format, nice cardstock, whatever, or I'll read five issues, four or five issues and get invested into potentially a series long-term. The one hit 
was Dawn of DC, the biggest hit uh, coming out of the big two. Let's go. And even that comes with a downside. As enthusiastic as retailers were about that initiative, the fact that all of its titles are immediately going away for two months so a line-wide horror event in Night Terrors can replace them is enough to drive retailers mad. Bruno Batista described it as, quote, not just shooting their own foot, they did it with a bazooka. Hmm. It could cost the publisher all the gains they made during the beginning of Dawn of DC. Have we not discussed that? Yep, yeah. Had good momentum. That that's just just dumb. It 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 smacks of eh, we can do whatever we want. And a lot of the decisions that Marvel and DC make make me feel like that. So imagine being a retailer. Let's establish something right now. Here's how the direct market works. I've said this many times, but there's always someone new listening. Stores order the books way in advance and they pay for their copies. There is no returnability or very limited returnability. And the returnability um, rules are very different for different publishers and different books and things like that. So what that means is that if Marvel sells the $8.99 Ultimate Invasion to a shop and whatever price the shop pays, like let's say they pay $4 or whatever, they're not getting that back if they can't sell their copies of Ultimate Invasion. Marvel made their money. So that means that Marvel, in this case, has retailers by the short hairs. We're going to sell you this book. You're going to buy it because you don't want to miss out. It could be hot. It could be the biggest thing ever. You don't know. But if it's not, it doesn't matter to us because we already sold it. Hmm. So retailers have to eat that. And think about this. If you, me, you... You're a Wednesday warrior. You go to the shop. What are you looking for? The newest book. What happens to the books that don't sell from the week before? At my LCS, which is enormous, they just get put on a lower shelf. But at other LCSs that aren't as big, they get put in the back. How do you sell that shit? Can't. Like, it's hard because then people got to go diving for that. And... I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think that that's a. Um, I, I don't think that's a way to engage a customer because going through back issues, that's stuff that you know, you're like deep in already into the culture. You know, you got to go digging through your know, long boxes and filtering whatever. But someone new is like, oh, that looks like a lot. I'm not going to do that. I just. I need accessibility. I want to take a moment to address this comment uh, from who that pro seven two nine seven. Welcome. I've not seen your name before, so thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm looking to get into comics, but still figuring out the best way to go about it. Is it better to buy online? I think that depends a lot on the kind of person you are and where you live. Um, so buying comic books can be daunting for some people uh, if you are not necessarily comfortable going to a shop and not knowing what you're there to buy. Um, and browsing, then it might be better to start online just to sort of get a feel for what books you like, what you don't like, and, you know, the state of things, um, and then take it from there. If you've got an LCS near you, which you can look up online, um, then you can go there and check it out, scope it out, see if you like the selection. 
it's in my opinion it's better to go knowing what you want that way you have an idea of what you're there to buy so it removes some of that anxiety of being a new person and not knowing what you want um and you can see if the vibe is right and if the vibe is right then you've got a home and if it's not try again somewhere else or stick to online i think that's probably the safest way to go about it but your mileage may vary do you guys want to add to that at all yeah if you're doing online i frankly i would i would stick to physical if you're a physical buyer doing issue by issue because you're you're paying the same amount digitally so you know you might as well have the physical copy Mm. um but as far as like getting into history and older collections and like the good good stuff um you can uh uh, get you know the marvel unlimited or the dc infinite or i mean you could try comiXology unlimited but i wouldn't recommend it Mm. um and get those subscriptions at you know the their monthly you know 7.99 or whatever it is and you'll get you know decades of backlog um that will you know fill you in on characters you like and you know you'll get that deep history of just all the stuff that you are interested in and you can and you know each of them have curated lists of the good stuff to read uh so yeah so those are uh great places to start for all that agreed Ooh, matt makes a great point uh in the chat don't forget about your local library either that's a good point um libraries freaking love introducing people to comics underrated comment yeah absolutely um marvel was specifically called out as a problem quote much of its line particularly its incessant minis with no clear audience are unmovable and that's the biggest publisher in the direct market interesting the minis yeah i just uh i just read all of Hollow's Eve, uh, that mini by Eric Schultz based on uh, that character from the uh, Dark Web event. And like, it was good, but like, they're right. Who is that for? Like, mm. it's it's five mm. issues. It just finished. Who knows when we're going to see the character again? They kind of tease it at the end, like, oh, there's an annual coming up and there's a special coming up later. But like, five issues, I, I would rather read that in a trade, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I just I just I just binged it. I, the fifth issue just came out this week, so I read all of it uh, this week. But yeah, I can't imagine that reading that month to month. Uh, and I think that's a more again more accessible to people. Is I'm gonna have a single book instead of getting them into this rhythm of gotta come back and for all five issues. Like if you're if that's the bar for entry for people to want to read, I think that there needs to be like a rethinking of it because one is it worth publishing individual floppies i'm assuming that's more expensive over the course of uh publication than it is to do a single trade yeah and you can make that work a bit better more cost effective and at that point you're have a better product for the consumer as well uh and also i put up a poll on if anybody reads previews for comics uh, we had a question in the chat so curious on on that one interesting yeah update us uh on that a little bit later marco mm-hmm. does previews uh, cost anything uh that's a good question i don't think so but the book itself i don't think i don't read it uh, i have no idea i've never i've never bought it yeah or, or i've never read it however it's... i don't even know if i've looked at it yeah 
Um, I mean, to what Marco's saying, though, right? Like, those minis that you could theoretically publish as trades, the the fact that the, the individual issues are hard to sell doesn't matter to Marvel. It only matters to retailers. There is no risk involved for Marvel. Um, they made their money already if retailers decide to order it. But when you look at these books, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm gl- I'm grateful that Erica Schultz got a shot. She's ac- actually really cool. Um, seen her a lot at Comic Con. I don't care about Hollow's Eve, and I don't I don't have a reason to buy it. It's not interesting to me. You know, you establish that character somewhere else. Make sure she's hot. Prove it. Give me a great creative team, and then I'll show up. But I'm not going to buy. I wouldn't even buy the trade. Why would I even buy the trade? We're talking about uh, like a $3.99 investment over five issues versus a $20 investment in one shot. I'll give a first issue a shot of pretty much anything, but I'm not going to buy a $20 trade sight unseen unproven especially not on a creative team that doesn't have the biggest names there's no way no way it's a tough balance yeah that point um i think a spiral uh spiral storm in the chat said a hot take i think they should get rid of floppies um if they do that then characters like hollow's eve won't exist you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you kind of need them to launch new characters nobody's buying a you know 25 dollar book for a character they never heard of before but nobody's buying Hallow's Eve either. Like, it's it's a it's a, 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 a they're they're shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> you lose kind of either way to some degree. I think the problem is that publishers and retailers would be even less likely to take risks, and we would see even more Batman, even more you know Spider Man. When you look at Black Label, which is the most expensive line of comics in comics almost all of those books are batman and there's a reason for that it's because people won't gamble on things that are that are you know that they're not sure about but when you say batman uh scott snyder for example greg capullo black label sure bet uh let's let's move a little bit forward uh because I want to talk a little bit about the non-Big 2. So non-Big 2 publishers have struggled tremendously in the single-issue market, with even some number ones not selling well enough to give retailers a reason to order number 2. And again, this isn't just a problem for the smallest publishers. As Pratt, one of the um, retailers, told me, a bunch of retailers, a bunch of titles from Image, Boom, Dark Horse, and lower publishers only sell one to three copies each issue. The retailer noted that even top names like Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire exist within that range. This is effectively an everyone problem. Quote, we love supporting new and innovative materials, but at a time when ordering a new Batman series feels risky, ordering a new small publisher book from unknown creators often feels downright foolish. Um, we got a, a super chat from Atomic Hound, so thank you very much. Oh, thank uh, you so much in the in the midst of chores while listening but you guys are killing it today thank you so much for your candor and objectivity that's what we're here for buddy you got that right really really appreciate that i'm too stupid to know what candor means but (laughs) thank you honesty isn't that 
the planet on Star Wars where the Wookiees come from? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah, that's Kashyyyk. Candor is that new show they had with uh what with, oh uh, my god. Oh, oh, oh my god. <laughs> I heard it was good. I heard it was good. Candor. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Yeah, thank you so much again, Atomic Hound. And of course, that is a reminder that super chats are open if you feel like you want to contribute and support if you're enjoying this. We have thirty people watching us live right now. That's so cool. Nuts. Thank you all for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. I want to see those likes bump up. We're going to do a draft today. Nothing will stop us from doing a draft as long as we hit the likes goal. We got 30 people watching right now. I feel like we can make 25. I feel oh, like... let's make 30. Okay. All right. 30. 30 for 30. Sean, Sean one thing that you mentioned with, like, the the there really not, not being any shelf space for new creators and stuff is, like, a lot of new creators I see, like, they're going on Kickstarter. That's where, where it is. And yeah. It's, like, they have retailer incentives, but, mm. like, that's usually for specific retailers that, you know, they might have a relationship with or might be friends with the creator. Um, it, it is almost direct to consumer in terms of the new, uh, the space for new creators, really. Even the fucking publishers are going to Kickstarter. Mm. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Did you guys like uh, Kickstarter the Keanu Reeves book? Hell no. <laughs> no, I no but I bought Berserker. Uh, and actually, to continuing that point, Michelle Fuss, who Sean and I interviewed, uh, totally independent webcomic, like also started on Kickstarter and is reintroducing people now via Skybound because uh, you can continue that cycle, that build. Yeah. I mean, look, this is very anecdotal, but, you know, we get criticized for um, not doing more non-Big 2 stuff, but... Almost every single time that I do a poll, which we do every single week on Twitter or X or whatever, um, the books that don't have big names or big characters on them don't get votes. Mm. Like, our that's our audience. That's not, like, random people, wherever. That's our core audience that are not voting for books that they don't, that don't have creators or, or characters that they know. And even the cre- books that are independent by the creators we know your big names your scott snyder your jeff lemire they've put so many books out that we know what that number one's going to look like right and you know we've criticized that on the show several times yeah so you know i i don't necessarily blame audiences for not coming back to a store for that you know it doesn't doesn't surprise me that a scott snyder would only sell one or two copies in his book about, you know, female prisoners who are also firefighters. Like, it's it's an interesting concept, but it's also a Scott Snyder. Like, I, I probably know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Uh, so I gave the poll about 10 minutes. We've netted out at uh, 57% no and 43 yes. Wow. That's a lot closer. Than that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 57-42. Yeah. I'm surprised by that. Yeah. Because all four of us are no. If it was just a Comics Pals uh, <laughs> participant poll, it'd be zero to 100. <laughs> all right, let's move forward. Um, it's gotten harder to do this job. With the various distributors who have who have their own systems, retailers have to work harder to get their orders in and learn new systems while still dealing with the problems they had before. Penguin mm. packages, Penguin Random House, packages comics well, but other distributors have issues with it. 
What am I saying when I say that? Diamond Comics, the only game in town for decades, sucked at packaging comics. That was their job. That was their job. And they sucked at it. Penguin Random House came in in 2021. And, or maybe, yeah, twenty. I think it was 21. And they've gotten flying colors from the retailer polls about who packages comics the best. Comics that come in with bent edges. Unsellable in a collector's Water damage. Market. Water damage, absolutely. That's wild. The, the thing there is, uh, Diamond was the only shop in town, so they just got complacent. They probably right. just don't care. Whereas Penguin, they're a book publisher, so they have competition all over. So they have to learn to make what they do stand out. And I guess they're just, you know, kind of those practices kind of, you know, fell over into the comic book sphere. The price of comics is too damn high. (laughs) Jen King, who I referenced earlier, said, I think people are price blind for individual comics, but not to the final register tally. I have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. I don't look at the price of the books that I buy, but when I get rung up, I'm like, what the hell just happened? I feel it. It's insane. It, it also doesn't help that there aren't prices posted, right? They're on the the book, but if they were on you know, a little tag or something like Walmart, like you'd sure know. Image right. prices aren't even on the front. They're on the back of the book. Yeah. Smart thinking. Good stuff. Uh, Joe Field said, seeing uh, he's seen customers use 999 quote anniversary issues as not a moment of celebration, but a jumping off point. Someone in the chat referenced that earlier. Ooh. Those 999 books, I don't buy them anymore. They're 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 a joke. There's no why would I buy? Why would I spend ten dollars on an anniversary book that features a ton of creators? Telling stories that don't matter, that I don't care about, for ten bucks. Look I, at I, Fallen Friend. How, how much was Fallen Friend that came out? Oh, I'm not sure. Seven ninety nine. Next week, the following week, she's back. Awful. Like it's it's wild. Awful. Oh, uh, four ninety nine apparently. All right, so let me get through the rest of these negatives. Uh, It's the same, quote, it's the same basic issue that we've been faced with for almost the past three years now, said Brower. There's so much extra work for no extra income. In fact, looking at 2023 sales, it's way more work for less money. So that's in reference to the problems of all these different distributors. And keep in mind what that means. When you're working with just Diamond, Diamond's system is the only system you're working with, good or bad, it doesn't matter. When you add in Penguin Random House, Lunar, uh, UCS, um, you know, all these different distributors that have their own systems, their own databases that you have to work with, you're a retailer, you might not even know really how to deal with all that. Hmm. A lot of these people have been retailing for 30, 40 years dealing with one system. These are oftentimes older people who are not necessarily as connected to technology and don't have the time to sit there and learn new systems. And yet they've had to do it several times over the last three years. So every week is a new problem. 
and they're not getting paid more for this. And you you can only get certain books through certain uh, retailers, distributors, or distributors rather. Yeah. And so you have to learn each individual system because it's otherwise you're not going to get your Marvel book, you're not going to get your DC book, you're not going to get your image and everything else. Exactly. That sucks. Imagine you like flipping through tabs just to make orders. Like, no. It's horrible. Um. This was a big. This was a big point that was made. Um, major publishers don't listen to the concerns of the retailers. Quote, at this stage, you can just go back to all our answers from the past few years, collate them together, and realize that practically nothing has changed. My wish for this year is that the chasm between what publishers put out and what we can actually sell gets smaller. Big publishers seem to take zero input from us here on the front line, and that doesn't seem likely to change anytime soon. Look at the most recent uh, retailer meeting at San Diego Comic-Con. Like, one of the biggest complaints that we hear is the variant issue. And what was their big yeah. announcement? More variants. Like, they're not – they're completely out of touch with what retailers want. Well, I think you can – I mean, you can even extrapolate that further to the strikes. Hmm. Nobody's listening. Nobody cares. It's all about the dollars. It's all about the bottom line. Yeah. Cut out the public so that, you know, we can keep those couple of cents. And and do variants sell? Yeah, they do sell. Yes. But we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show. That's a scam. It's a yeah. scam. Yeah. And the industry is being propped up by a scam. It's inflating the numbers. And, uh, and that doesn't benefit the long term because then you you start to rely on it instead of making it something momentous and that i think i think you can do something better at that level of okay you know maybe you do it once a year because there's like for sure an actual important issue that's coming out and then you you build moments around it and and that's how you build emotional connections to get consumers back versus well, I know that every issue is going to have a variant. Why do I care about these things? I know. All right, fine. Sure, there's a cool artist. I'll pick that up. But otherwise, it's it doesn't it doesn't provide that value. Imagine imagine being a comic book creator, right? Not the variant cover artist. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the two individuals that or two. I'm sorry. the The creative team overall that worked on the book and your book does great sells really nicely but it had a frank miller variant that everybody wanted and so the book sold really well but a lot of people bought that frank miller variant how many of the people who bought your comic actually read it or, or are coming back for issue two or are coming back for issue two how must that feel Knowing that you're busting your ass as a creator to make this book, and the only reason why it's selling so well is because it's got a really snazzy Frank Miller variant. And I'm not, I'm just using the name. It's not, not, not a knock against Frank or anything like that. And it wouldn't be a knock against any of them. These are tremendous artists whose work sells copies. But that's a problem in and of itself because that work is not inside the book. Yep. I, I imagine Blade is probably a victim of this, you know? 
Like Blade had that uh, one of the first Frank Miller variants recently. Right. right. I'm sure the sales for Blade One are going to be very different from the sales of Blade Two for a book that you know Kale and I genuinely liked. It was pretty know? good. So yeah, it's pretty good. And it's worth saying this is how the industry imploded before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spiral said maybe we're in for a '90s repeat. I think we're absolutely going for it. Yeah, or we just work Frank Miller to the bone and just have him do all the all the covers. They're they're already doing that. <laughs> the man's fucking. He could barely lift his head to hold up that fedora. <laughs> That's weighing him down. Scraping out that trashy Wolverine, he did. <laughs> now I saved the most damning quote for last because I think that this. Unfortunately, it is true. I do believe this. And I hate to say it, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let Bruno Batista of Dublin's Big Bang Comics say it. Quote, 70% of the publishers could disappear tomorrow and 90% of the customers wouldn't even notice. Oh, God. That's sad. And of course, it's true. When most people think that comics is only Marvel and DC, and 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 then The Walking Dead and Saga, not even naming the publisher, just the actual book. Yep. You mean to tell me you think that the average person, even the average comic shop goer, knows Aftershock or AWA? Yep. No. All the hype about distillery. How does the average person at a comic book shop know that distillery is a thing? They don't. They probably barely know Marvel and DC are a thing. Like, you know, the the average reader, if that, only cares about the IP. I'm here to pick up Flash. Oh, uh, Power Rangers, they're around, right? Hmm. I bet you the average reader doesn't even know creative teams. Like, they're just looking at the characters, really. Like, I I bet you they don't know when there's a new creative team switch over to new things. Shoot, a lot of times I don't even just because I'm so I'm so I'm such a zombie that I'll I'll just go to the store and buy it and then I'm like, oh snap, I didn't even realize it like Venom. Like, oh snap, I didn't even realize the creative team changed. Um it happened to me when Donnie Cates left uh 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 Thor and Hulk. Where I was like, Oh snap, Donnie's gone? Didn't know. So you know go ahead. Sorry, I I how much of that though are people who are invested into comics already like like we'll recognize it i'm sure the number a number of our audience will recognize that but the uh, what percentage of that population is a new reader like realistically of all the people that buy comics i would say i don't have numbers right this is just an anecdotal assumption but i'd say maybe like 10 15 percent of those people actually who go into a shop might not know that but everybody else like us we'd probably know we'd recognize those things but we are the most activated comic book readers there are that's what i mean is i think it's more impactful to us and that population is smaller they 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 make up a smaller portion of the people actually buying comics by they, you mean casual readers? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it depends on what you define as casual because if someone is a, a Marvel and DC loyalist 
and they go every week and all they buy is Marvel and DC uh, and they love Spider-Man but they don't care about Zeb Wells or Ramita or whoever, are they casual? No, they're locked in. Right, but they don't necessarily care who's writing the book. They don't know about an image or a boom. They don't care. And we can see that because we can see the numbers. Well, we can't see the numbers anymore, but we know that outside of the big two, single issues are a struggle. We just talked about it. So right. where are the people that are buying those books? They're not here. So am I, am I less casual? Am I more locked in than a person who only buys Marvel and DC? Because I buy, because I go deeper, even though we're at the, sh- the shop the same amount of time every week, there are levels to it. Mm. And to me, if you go to the shop every week, you're not casual. But that doesn't mean you care about non-Big 2 books. Sure. And it also doesn't mean that you care about the creative team. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan in the chat says, I think you you guys are a bit off on that. I think the average comic book reader knows creative teams more, more than, say, film goers know directors. Um, More than, but that doesn't disprove what we said. I don't think that that I don't think that that disproves it. I think if you if if that were true, then Scott Snyder books would always sell well, but they don't. We just talked about that. It's it's almost it's almost like yeah, Scott Snyder's books sold tremendously well when he was writing Batman. Why? Because the books were good, because there was intrigue, there was excitement, people were into it. We know that there is some amount of people who will follow Scott to his other books but i just said that a scott snyder book might sell one to three copies at some stores that's not a batman so clearly people don't care there are people who don't even know what publisher publishes a a a spider-man book Uh, um go ahead sorry uh matt he says growth for me but i'm a bit exhausted by the casual label it's just gatekeeping people from opening up to what they like and want to share from you read in the future um i don't think casual in that sense is a derogatory thing i I think we're talking from a retailer um perspective or casual means the person that only comes in casually like less activated yeah it could be it could be uh foot traffic you know sure i don't yeah for my comic shop i would be a casual uh yeah person because i only go in twice a year exactly yeah i'm 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 a casual comic shop goer as well even though i do a weekly comic book podcast so Hmm. but at the same time i will gladly gatekeep (laughs) wow piece of shit (laughs) so i wanted to end this conversation with something that uh you know in the chat dan trudeau wrote up in our Discord server, which everyone is welcome to join. As long as you are a cool person, we would love to have you. I like to say we've got the best comics community Discord around, and I like to think that the people that are on it would agree with that. And so Dan, one of our very, very loyal supporters and listeners, wrote up an incredible piece that he describes as what would save comics. And so to close out, I thought we would analyze this and kind of you know, dissect it. And before we get into it, Dan um, consented to this. So, you know. 
So we're not going to see him in the chat going, hey, what the? F- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is what Dan said. And, and there are aspects of it that are abbreviated just because of what we do here. Uh, monthly comic books were never prestige entertainment products from the retailer perspective. The first step of saving comics is to accept this and steer into it. If the publishers are serious about growing their customer base, they need to once again market and sell them in a space that makes sense. My suggestion is to bring back the spinner rack in stores such as CVS, Rite Aid, Dwayne Reed, local stores, etc. The market is kids in the stores with their parents or parents who tell their kids they'll get them something while picking up prescriptions or whatever they're out for a couple of things have to be in place for this to be successful the comics cannot cost more than three dollars an issue ideally two dollars they have to feature good stories by solid creative teams not the generic stuff they often sell to kids the books have to advertise their premium titles graphic novels and seven dollar issues etc and where to get them they have to be all age stories which doesn't mean stupid or overly simple there has to be more than superheroes, almost aimed at a more diverse crowd. There has to be a sustained marketing effort on TV, movies, etc. They need to announce to kids that they need to seek out the spinner rack for great stories with their favorite characters. The trick is, the program will be expensive up front and will take a bit to gain the volume required to make it profitable. It will also need tweaking as it goes along. That said, I honestly believe it could be the cornerstone to building readership back up again. This won't make comics as big as they used to be. Nothing as big as n- nothing is as big as it used to be. This will keep it from dying. Build up a fan base for these characters that's more sustainable than other media. Help create a place where the corporations can try out ideas, characters, etc. For adaptation and licensing in a less expensive space. Lower risk with high reward. Comics could remain their R&D divisions that not only pay for themselves but turn a profit. As of today, I don't know if you could motivate Warner Brothers Discovery and Disney to fund this sort of initiative, but it's the sort of path I think would be necessary to right the comics industry ship. You can't make up for the lost ground, the lost generation of readers Didio mentioned, without serious investment. Well written, Dan is a tremendous writer in general. Uh, What do you guys have to say about this? I think he's right. Uh, uh, Please. Yeah, I think he's right in the sense that I think that the, the price needs to go down. Um, even if the price goes down and page count also goes down, I think that's still the right move. Um, as annoying as that is for probably creators. Um, I personally love Spinner Rack, so I would like to see them come back. But um, with the amount of people who also <laughs> shop for groceries online at this point, I don't know how much that will help. Um, I think I think investing in like a digest type thing that could be on you know uh, uh what do you call it like when you're at the cash register uh, that that area for a lot of places oh, okay. could work the checkout uh, yeah there's a name for that that there's like a retail name for that uh like the impulse oh, yeah, yeah, section. I know. Yeah. yeah um so yeah i think i think having it in stores that aren't just comic book shops could help I know Barnes and Noble even stopped doing comic books. I used to I used to curate the comic book section, the floppy section, uh, when I worked at the Barnes and Noble. Um, but you know, that doesn't, doesn't even exist anymore. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of good thoughts here. The thing is, I don't think Disney or Warner Brothers cares. Like all, all that is right now is just it's just the IP farm for their other media. So, well, the the thing the other thing that appeals to me out of what he said too is market them toward kids because kids will buy as much as 
the money they have in their pockets will get them. The problem is the companies see us millennials as, you know, the the new working driving customer. So they're vomiting out, you know, ancient nostalgia brands, you know, the Barbie movie, a glow-in-the-dark Ninja Turtle Funko Pop, so that we will get that so we can relive our childhood. And ostensibly, we have more money, even though we're the ones that are struggling. Yeah, but at that point, I feel like I would push back on the kid piece. I think you can cater the books like that, but then they're not the ones that are going to be driving sales. Like they don't have the disposable income to be able to go, like maybe you'll get an issue or two, but they're not the people going into the, the store and coming out with a total amount of a hundred dollars plus. See, and, see, I disagree Marco because uh, of the child labor laws that we're, uh, we're getting rid of in the U S uh, they're going to have money soon. <laughs> well, and the problem with that though, Tyler, is you have to remember, Soon, that's going to be uh, just child slavery. So true, true, and they're dying in those in those uh, those labor right. positions too. So they can't they can't stop. They're dead. Incredibly dark. Yep, that's making, the US for you. <laughs> making my glow in the dark, Ninja Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think uh, I don't know that that's a uh, a sector of the market that you can then grow. You're going to be. Oh, I wholly disagree. I, but in terms of the the kids coming up and giving you money, like they're they're not the ones that are gonna, uh, uh, they're not the ones that are working those jobs and you know whatever the jokes aside right now, right? But uh, they don't have the money. You mean they don't have the money? It's us. Like we're the ones that will. A parent does. You have to convince the parent to buy the book for the kid. As much as the kid goes, hey, I want this thing, right? They be, it's not in the budget, bud. So you're saying comics needs the bluey model. They need to market to kids, but it's something that adults can also enjoy at the same time. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I, but I, I, to that point, I think old comics used to do that. Mm. You know, there's a, um, what was it? Was it uh, Watchmen where the kids are re- the the TV show? Where the kids are reading like Superman comics or something, maybe, and one yeah. of them throws it away, and the the adult nearby that the story is actually following following sees it, and he picks it up, and he's like, "Oh well, uh, you know, I'll just see what the kids are reading." But he's actually a big fan. I like, I don't think that's not true. Uh, I I would say, I, in, including uh, the where where the kid market makes sense is in that on that scholastic piece, like when where they go into school and makes it accessible. There's there's a a model built in where the expectation is, oh, I need to have some money ready because I know I'm going to go buy these books. And then from there, you get the people to be like, hey, I'm going to to sell that in. I think that's where you can get the kids to that point. But on the, re- on the retailer end, that has to be specific, I think, to people with disposable income. I think what Dan's positing here is is a return to what comics originally was, like the big two comics originally was. And my fear is that, all right, well, then in 30, 40 years, we'll just be back to where we are. You know, like you're 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 kind of getting kids into collecting comics so that when they're older they and they have that disposable income, 
they're the ones kind of being these Wednesday warriors that pick up every book that Marvel puts out because they have the money for it. But then I feel like we'd just be back to where, where we where we are now later in the line. But but I'd argue you have to make them fans now of every book and they're probably not gonna sure. be reading every book. And um to that I think the you used to be able to do that previously because those books were cheaper and to Dan's point in the in the in his write up like that would be the addressable piece but then you have to think about how that works practically and that's decreasing quality of cardstock decreasing paper quality maybe even doing black and white books the other thing that's different though is attention span like huh an ipad an ipad kid is not reading comics i'm sorry uh the the what their their media intake is not coming from any kind of paper medium really as as horrible as that sounds uh, but like they're they're more interested in TV shows, more interested in the movies. Uh, you know, if, if Marvel can put out their own Encanto, then we might be onto something. But I don't think that exists in the comic book space. Ooh, I'm gonna jump uh, in here. Um, okay. So I love what Dan wrote, and I think that there are definitely truths in it because it's, of course, how could that not be the case, Dan? The truth, Trudeau. Um, but I think that the world has moved on from the days of kids being the activated readership of physical floppy comics. Yes, kids do read. We know they read. We know they read manga. We know that, you know, they read Raina Telgemeier and we know they read um, Dogman and things like that. But those are scholastic oftentimes, as Marco pointed out. And you're getting a lot of bang for your buck when you buy something like that. Um comic books are no longer built to be cheap and disposable and i think that going back to that style um actually might hurt comics i also think that we are in an age where a three a two dollar three dollar comic is not going to have a profit margin that will sustain a creative team um people got to get paid we've talked a lot about how in the manga space there are problems with pay and there are problems with overwork. And those are $10, you know, $20, whatever they are. Um, I, I don't know, the, I don't know the, the, the cost of like a Naruto volume, but I thought they were around 10 bucks, yeah? It's, a, it's like a chapter. It's like a, Marco, like a 50-page chapter you can get, which would be the equivalent of a new issue for Oh, the, the individual ones? Yeah. Oh, it's like, uh, but not the Tonka Bonds. Man, come on. <laughs> Talk about just a collected one. Versus you're saying like the, the 17, 18 page individual issue? Is that all they are? They're small, dude. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. I'm talking about the volumes that like those thick volumes the, the that thick I ones. see. At- Kale, Kale, Tonka Bonds, okay? Uh, those, are, those are like maybe like anywhere from 8 to $10. Thank you. Even England. So <laughs> that's the equivalent today's comic price of two two single issues that is that is a god awful value proposition there isn't enough value in a comic book a single issue comic book for a retailer to host it like you know outside of direct market comic book shops um or for parents to buy it for their kids at that price point the value isn't really there and on top of that, like I said, you have the, the issue of paying creators 
what they're worth, which they're already not being paid what they're worth. And the price of comics keeps going up and up and up and up. Mm. So I think that appealing more to kids is definitely a piece of the puzzle. And as Dan pointed out, this is not his solution to fixing comics overall. It's just a piece of it. So I do agree that it's a piece of it. But I think that floppies are not the way. I have advocated for stuff like how come there's not Miles Morales scholastic dogman style ongoing tales for children to read. Yep. Uh, you hit that, you know, that uh, middle grade region and turn them into activated readers in the future, you hope. But more than that, it's like, hey, Dogman's popular. Miles Morales is popular. One of those characters has a television show. I don't know if Dogman does. I know Miles does. That show's popular with kids. There should be material to supplement that, and that should be everywhere. But I don't know if I feel like you can do how they used to do, like, um, uh, what's a good example? Like, I don't know that Aquaman would would be... Like, I think that the characters that you could use to appeal to children in this space is shockingly low compared to the way it used to be. And I think it's going to be based a lot on the MCU. But once mm. you move past what has a movie or a television show, I think it gets really hard, just like it is now for adults. I think to, to your point, one of the other pieces is that scholastic format does not translate to the LCS. And that's where you're going to get that next level of reader. Right. And you're not building the habit. You're not building the understanding that oh, if you want to get the next series, you want to continue to explore more, it's not going to be here in, in where I'm familiar. You have to enter a new environment. Yeah. And that's not being translated. I agree. We've got a problem in comics, as was outlined here. There are many possible solutions. We've outlined a few, especially thanks to Dan. I appreciate you allowing us to use this. Um, until... Publishers get serious about, you know, acknowledging the problems. There's nothing that anyone else can do. Retailers can't get it done. They get the bulk of the blame. Everybody shits on retailers. But they don't really have the capacity to solve this problem. Distributors don't have the capacity to solve the problem. Publishing initiatives are the only thing that can truly solve this problem. And I think it comes down to not insulting our intelligence with gimmicks and BS that doesn't go anywhere, being a lot more choosy about what you publish, connecting with retailers to tell them how to market these books, providing them with material. Why aren't there ultimate invasion standees? You know, if that's your big thing that you're trying to pump this summer, Where's the merchandise surrounding that that makes it cool? I should come mm. away with a little pin or or something. DC has the fucking... I got a lantern ring right here that I got hey. from DC. You know, that's pretty cool. They just gave it to me. It was free. That provides more value. Of course. You get, you get a better bang for your buck. Yeah. I Give still have it. I thought it was nice. I liked it. Um more interconnectivity with the movies and television shows these things are popular lean into that 
I'm not saying it should be one-to-one. I'm just saying that if Miles Morales is popping, then maybe the creative team that's doing the main Miles book should be a driver of sales. And maybe there should be a bunch of kids Miles Morales books out there. Hmm. And yeah, comic books are too expensive. And I don't know how to deal with that. Because you can't really lower the prices and still be able to have creators feed themselves and their families. At least that's what Bro, it seems everything's like. too expensive right now. Yeah. No, you know how expensive my avocado toast is in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out here trying to get a cup of coffee and they won't let me buy a house. Um, <laughs> Chillmonger brings up a, a, an interesting point. I don't, I don't know if I am wholly with him, but he, he mentions that uh, they just sold Hulk number 181 to us for $4, and they didn't have to pay a creative team. So his overall point is, you know, reprint the important stuff, you know, Hulk 181 is the issue uh, where we meet Wolverine. Um, reprint that stuff, and you also don't have to pay the creative, you know, the creative team. Uh, you know, that, here and there. Isn't that the, the Roy Thomas uh, editor-in-chief uh, way of dealing with X-Men? Like, didn't he do something like that? Where X-Men yeah. were constantly re- reprinted? Yes, and that was something that Jeanette Kahn fought against at DC because she felt that constantly reprinting the books would take the interest away from the titles that they were publishing in the here and now. Hmm. Um, It's worth pointing out, though, that facsimile editions do do well, Hmm. and they don't come with those same uh, costs like you outlined. Also, that's – I mean that's – primarily the european market especially for tintin and asterix you know the guy who did tintin's been dead for years and years but they recycle the same 20 stories in you know big collections and you know you can get the individual albums for you know a certain amount and they're all really nice and they are the top sellers all the time that's where we're going to have to leave it. This has been a, a quite a quite a long conversation. I sincerely appreciate the live chat engagement. You guys are phenomenal. Uh, we've off. got almost 40 people here with us today. That is an incredible feeling. Thank you. We are at 26 of our 30 like goal. Which, 27. 27. Oh, 27. Just, just excuse me. Um I don't see a reason why we won't hit that goal and then we will do a draft and it will be fun. Um, we've got a lot more show to do, so we're going to move on. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that conversation and keep adding your thoughts. If you've got more thoughts on this subject, uh, we'd love to hear them. You guys know how to get in contact with us after the show as well. Um, the best way to talk to us is a YouTube comment or our discord where we love to have you guys join us. Um, if you've enjoyed what we've done, if you enjoy this kind of talk, if you enjoy us for this kind of deep dive that, Quite frankly, a lot of other channels don't do. No shade, but it is what it is. There are lots of ways that you can support us. Patreon.com slash thecomicspals is the absolute best way to support your boys. We love to give you bang for your buck. We love to return the favor. You support us. We support you. We've got a lot of great content on our Patreon page. We've got a newsletter that goes out every single week. We've got an exclusive show over there called Palling Around which if you 
aren't on our Patreon page, you've never heard. Uh, you get a book club poll, which right now, Secret Invasion, Siege, and DC's Invasion are duking it out. I think Secret Invasion is winning right now. But there was a campaign against Secret Invasion by for our invasion. patrons. For Invasion, in fact, yes. Um, and uh, go ahead, Kyo. Do we vote in that? Have no. you guys voted in that? No. Did you? We haven't. No, no, no. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> are you sub? Are you sub to our Patreon? No, God. That's a, that's a, that's a little masturbatory, I think. <laughs> I don't even have money to sub to my own Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you also get a nickname, a superhero or supervillain nickname, and a shout out on the show. So, I want to give a special shout out to the best pals in the universe: Thunderstruck, Rebecca Alejandro, the Hound of Justice, Atomic Hound. And, of course, the Red Spiral. And I want to thank the Night Stalker, Harris Najinsky, Brian Demolisher Del Pozo, Kefis the Incorruptible, Momentum Mike Elliott, Starcross Catherine Stars, Dan the Truth Trudeau, Joel Justice, Jalen the Sanguine Sorcerer, Neon Knight the Cosmic Avenger, Super Shenran the Conqueror, and Marvelous Mike and Mackenzie. Thank you all so, so much for your support. It means the world to us. You guys are amazing. And you might have noticed a lot of those names in this in this uh, live chat right now. These are our, our loyal warriors, which, by the way, is to take nothing away from those of you who listen but aren't necessarily on our Patreon. We love you all. You guys are all great. So thank you very much. Um, Join our Discord server. Said that earlier, but it's worth repeating. If you want to watch this show live, that's every Saturday at 10.15 a.m. Eastern. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for Pals Pulls. If you want to vote in the listener poll, that is up on Twitter slash X right now. And you can vote for, you know, whatever you want us to read. Uh, we have... Uh, go ahead. Uh, they're called Zoles now. They're not polls. Zol. Yeah. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Um, we have one listener comment today that I wanted us to get to. Uh, I'll, I'll just do it. Uh, this one's from Atomic Hound, uh, who is, you know, a phenomenal member of our community, by the way. Uh, and he says, you are asked to make a recommendation for a friend or relative wanting to get into superhero comics. Where do you start? Feel free that any character from the big two and any era is fair game, but the recommendation is now, i.e. 2023. Let's keep it to one recommendation. This is tricky because I would ask so many other questions, you know what I mean? Um, personally, like, my gut goes to Spider-Man. I feel like Spider-Man's really kind of like an intro comic uh i think it's amazing spider-man and batman if we're talking about the big two mm. um just because right now they're relatively new runs like you can catch up on those pretty easily the spider-man a little little harder because that comes out every other week i think um but my gut says those two but i'd want to know like do they have any favorite superheroes do they want a team book like i would probably ask a couple more probing questions um but with what I've been given, I'd say Spider-Man. Even though it's Zeb Wells, I still think it's good. That freaking Doc Ock arc that just finished was so good. Hell yeah, <laughs> um, brother. But, uh, yeah, and, and Batman. Those would be my two big ones. Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd lean Batman just because it's so recognizable. You don't really have to set too much up. Um, 
returns you know that's just it's classic it's a reason there's a reason it's on the top 10 every every year hmm. the film no the, <laughs> the book dark knight returns oh what you'd start there no you're nuts where'd you start batman hush he's he's asking I think, <laughs> that's a great I answer asking. That's asking for you get the you get the uh, whole no, fucking batman history in two books and it's Jim Lee, which is the most successful. Jim Lee. Card. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, I read this as asking for something that's coming out in 2023. That's the question. Uh, well, he it's says like, any character from the big two and any era is fair game. Yeah, Got just, it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my, uh, my, my real recommendation would be uh, Superman, probably Superman for all seasons. Oh, uh, from DC, I, I, I would go uh, The Long Halloween, and from Marvel, I would go Hoxpox. I know that Hoxpox is kind of um, a complicated dense, series, bro. but I think that, you know, the X-Men gives you so many different kinds of characters, and it's a tremendous story. So I think that's what that's where I would go. I, I want to make one a dead now that I understand the question a little better. Um, I've done this recently. Uh, I have a friend who wanted to get into it, so I uh, gave him a copy of All Star Superman. Yeah, and great one. You know what he's reading now? All of Morrison. Like, <laughs> nice. He, nice. He, he currently has like the Batman Omnibuy now. I'm like, hell yeah, brother! He showed me his collection recently, <laughs> and it's Sick. like uh, from there it spawned into like Swamp Thing by Alan Moore. He's yes. reading. Uh, uh, I think he just picked up Doom Patrol. But, like, he picked up Animal Man. I'm like, hell yeah, this is... And, and I've had multiple friends who have gotten into comics recently through Grant Morrison, which is That's... awesome, honestly. Like, even even outside of my intervention, they're like, oh, you ever, you ever read Grant Morrison? I'm like, bro, let's, Come get, let's on, grab man. a drink real quick. We got something to talk about. <laughs> uh, so, from the, the chat, Chillmonger, who's got a great YouTube channel you guys should check out, said, Black Panther, depending on what this friend looks like. Uh, agreed. Um, uh, top lane says the long Halloween. Uh, um, said Daredevil Yellow. That's interesting, an interesting, interesting Ooh, choice. Spider Man Blue would be good. Yeah, that was. That I think Daredevil's been. a very good character to get people into stuff. It's consistently good. Jeff Loeb does a really great, um, sort of melancholic look at you know a character's whole history. So you can get the whole vibe. Chill says, I'd argue Hoxbox is closest to the wrong answer as it gets. It's not catered to newbies. <laughs> you know what? It's funny that you say that. And I'm going to ignore the rudeness of that comment. Um, but it's funny you say that because every person who I've ever told the story of Hoxbox is enthralled. Everyone. I think it. the only thing it requires is in interest in x-men right if you don't have an interest in x-men then it's probably not for you but i think that's all i think the art's very accessible and i think it's a very complete story if you know the basic story of x-men you can probably get a handle on the the future stuff i think is a little i think the tricky part is where do you go from after (laughs) oxbox because then people are like what do i read after i'm like well because we're having trouble with that hickman's x-men anything with his name on it pretty much um, and then stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Classy Ulysses says, uh, Batman damned. Uh, so you can see that bat penis, obviously. And then uh, Zdarsky Daredevil. Hmm. Yeah, Zdarsky's Daredevil is really good. 
it's interesting because I, I I felt like I was struggling a little bit to figure out what to recommend because superheroes wouldn't be the first thing I'd recommend to people. No. Oh. Oh, uh, here's a serious polyp, and here's a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quickly, what would be your first recommendation? Uh, like, what would you just hand someone? Bone. That's not a bad answer. Yeah, that's pretty good. Marco, you do Kale. like the bone, so. Okay. All right, we've got a lot more show to do, so let's talk about some holdover announcements from San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> which was movie-less, but we did get some animated feature announcements. Um, so first up was the Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths animated film. Uh, so this is following up on Justice League War World, um, hmm. which hey. the Discord seems to sit to think wasn't very good. That's what I saw. I haven't watched it. Dude, the cover of that, the the art for it is like not based on like what I thought like Superman World World, World was. It's like, oh, here's noir, here's, you know, this like it, it looks like a genre piece in their in their weird genres. Um, yeah. Are, are these chronological or are, are they connecting these movies? I don't watch any of them, so. I stopped yeah, watching I them years ago, but I'm pretty sure they're connected. Yeah. Top lane. Wow. War, War World is terrible. If you guys, I don't know if you guys, if you're interested in Justice League World World, War, War World, you can see, you can see Matt, Bo Matt Bomer, the guy who plays um, who is Negative Man on Doom Patrol. You can see him play Old Man. Huh? Old Man who? Old, Old Man. man. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> Old man. Yeah, new, the new entire cast. Old man. Yeah. First name Gary. Oh, wow. Um, so this this one's coming out. They didn't really announce much about it, um, just that it'll be out this year. Connected to, which I highly doubt that these two will actually tie in, but we also got the announcement. Oh, that slide's not working. Uh, but we got the announcement that Watchmen is also getting a... Um, an adaption, an animated adaption, which I I I just don't need. Oh, give it to me. Wait, is it is it a a movie or a series? It's a movie. You don't want that uh, Saturday morning X Men Watchmen animated series? I do. There, Why? I think this needs to have Curse of the Black Freighter in it. Yes, agreed. Like I think canonically, it not happen. Well, how I mean, th th maybe they needed to keep that uh that IP away from uh, the original writer, so they need to be pushing it out in other ways. I just don't need like Watchmen has been done and done and done. Um, you know, I love it; it's great, but I just can't get up for this. We are cruising to Watchmen, babies. <laughs> I know, yeah. I think it depends on who is on this because I think like some of the straight adaptations they've done, like the New Frontier movie is phenomenal, but they had people who worked on the original book working on that. So um, not that Alan Moore is going to be coming out of his hovel or tower uh, to work on this, but um, I don't know. I kind of want this. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I, I think 
I'm probably in the minority in not wanting uh, it. Not in this podcast. Well, it seems like it's it's two people that well, Marco, did you want it? Yeah, bro. Yeah, so all right. I guess technically not a minority, but we're divided. Um And you no, you and no. I could definitely take Marco and Tyler. <laughs> just say no, we're we're definitely mm. minorities. I just would you call me? <laughs> I already don't watch these. Yeah. And a Watchmen one is not. I I'd actually I'm more likely to watch the Crisis one. Because um, I've never read Crisis on Infinite Earth, so it would be new to me. Um, yeah. It sounds like a modern because if it's if it's in line with all the other movies, it sounds like a modern take on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if I get to see friggin' Barry die, that's kind of cool. Now, I hope it's, it's voiced by Ezra. <laughs> oh hell no! Classy Ulysses says need a before Watchmen animated movie. I'm with that. I'll watch that. You got something there. The Give Darwin me Cook joint? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, all, a lot of those uh, before Watchmen books are under underrated yep. because of what it was. Like the Amanda Connor, Silk Spectre, Lee Mayo on Rorschach. Jai Lee. Oh, my God. He dies, bro. You didn't like that one? I don't, I don't think I like Jai Lee at that point. Oh. Had, yeah, it had Jai Lee in it. Like, no, of course not. Shut up, Kale. You don't like him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What gave that away? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. We did hit 30 likes, I think, right? Uh, so thank you for that. Yep. So we will hit that draft a little later on. Um, let's let's talk about um, what do we got next? Let's talk about a gang war huh? that's coming to Marvel. Marvel announced oh. <laughs> not the Bloods and Crips, Kale. We got we got well, MS13 here. Wait, that's what I was worried. <laughs> You guys be safe? I don't even know where they operate. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you guys um, remember in the 90s when everyone was afraid of the Bloods and the Crips? Like, I was know, in I was in the Midwest, and people were like, oh, if you see red and blue, you go hide. Dude, do you know how many Bloods and Crips I know? No, dude. <laughs> of course I, used I don't. Learn, I used to know how to Crip walk. What is What was going on in the Midwest? Like, I was, like, accepting that. the culture. I, I don't think I could do it anymore. I have to be extremely drunk to crip walk. <laughs> oh, boy. So DC, uh, Marvel's gang war is coming up. And basically, the breakdown of this is uh, Peter Parker is sick and tired of gang stuff. And this is spinning right out of Amazing Spider-Man, which is going into a new arc starring Tombstone. And, you know, Peter is going to enact a war on crime. And he's oh, gonna en- he's gonna enlist Miles, Luke Cage, Shang Chi, Daredevil, and Spider Woman uh, to help him take down their gangs. And 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 the characters that are, he's gonna be teaming with, I didn't care that much about, but I did care about who they're gonna be going against. So we've got Hobgoblin, Mister Negative, the Owl, Shotgun, Diamondback. AIM and Hydra and more. Now, I love Hobgoblin, Mr. Negative, and the Owl. Who's Shotgun? I have no idea. The Owl is a Daredevil mobster. Yeah. The Owl was in the Daredevil uh, show. What? Is he just going to release drugs into the community? Like, what's Spider-Man's game plan here? (laughs) Like... (laughs) 
Uh, so I'll, I have an answer to that. Um, quote, for Peter Parker, going on patrol isn't enough, and he declares his own war on supercrime. It's General Spidey at the helm, leading a group of heroes that includes the people I mentioned. Their goal? Take down the super gangs in under 48 hours. But what does Mayor Luke Cage and the city's strong anti-vigilante laws have to say about it? Will Jackpot gamble on getting involved? And is Shang-Chi a friend or foe? They better all figure it out before two classic villains make a game-changing return. Okay, so A, I don't know why there's a question mark about whether Shang-Chi is a friend or foe. Word. That's a little odd. But B, I am very pissed about this Luke Cage aspect. Couldn't get the city on fire book. Couldn't have it. Too much. What we can have is Super Cop Cage, who is going to, what, intervene in this? Because New York is still technically anti-vigilante. Yeah. I don't live in... You guys have to tell me if this joke is appropriate. I don't know. I don't live in... Uh, I don't live in New York. <laughs> He's going to... Yeah. Mayor Luke Cage, more like Mayor Eric Adams. Am I right? Okay. I mean, if Luke Cage believed in mystical crystals that lay in the foundation of the New York's uh, crust that gives it its feeling, then I maybe. I think Luke Cage has been around long enough. He probably believes right, in He's that. probably aware of the crystals. Yeah. I don't like this uh, logo. I don't like the. It feels generic, feels bland. Like, n- n- none of this screams exciting to me. Is this going to oh, be in the vein I... of like the first forty-eight TV show? Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, there is no gang war main series. There is gang war first strike, and then the actual event sort of takes place in the books themselves. So, like, Amazing Spider-Man uh, thirty-nine, forty, Miles thirteen, fourteen. You get the idea, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like classic classic event type style. Yeah. Deadly hands of kung fu. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. It's gonna last from November to March, guys. God damn. Okay. It's a long ass war. Yeah. It's a lo- that's a long forty eight hours. That's geez. a long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Jack Bauer could handle that. Words. Uh, I'm into this. I'm into it. I'm a sucker. I, I liked uh, <laughs> I liked the Devil's Reign thing from before. And, that was cool. Uh, I like street level stuff. And dude, uh, I love street level too. I'll probably read a, a bunch of this, whether I like it or not. Yeah. Um, is this else? Sucker for him. Uh, so this is well, it's 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 everyone because it's not happening in one book. So it's like Amazing Spider-Man, that creative mm-hmm. team. So yeah, Zeb Wells. Then it's Miles Morales. So Cody Ziegler and whoever else. Etc. Etc. Hmm. You know, could be good. I'm, I'm excited. I'm not gonna lie. I'm excited to see Spider Woman have another book. She hasn't had a book in a while, so. The uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. That that's got me. That sounds cool. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Uh, Perry Perry asked, "Did we just say Shotgun is coming back? Shotgun is here. I don't know if it's." You know, I don't I don't know shotgun, so I don't know if like it's OG shotgun or maybe a new character under that moniker, but we're yeah, definitely getting some shotgun. Shotgun's like a classic street level character. Um he did a lot of uh carjackings. He would only get into the front seat. Um and then he'd just be along with you for the ride. Come on. Um yeah. <laughs> I can't. I rode that so far. Yeah, dude. 
I was like, okay, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Yoli gets in the front seat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron Ruiz, don't know how much I trust this. Dark Web was not handled well for me. I agree. I don't. I didn't care for Dark Web very much. Um, Spiral Storm, am I the only one excited about Gang Ward? No. Doesn't sound like it. I'm very excited for it. <laughs> And Dan says, I'm just not interested in stuff like this anymore, unless it spins out of a run I'm enjoying. U- Ulysses says, uh, it's funny that most Marvel superheroes are in New York, but crime is still ongoing and rising. Never rising. Well, I mean, when the Avengers are busy doing whatever the hell it is that they're doing. In, Split across the planet. Yeah, in Jed McKay's Avengers. They're going on dates. Yeah. If you haven't read Avengers number three, that's what happened. They're going on dates. They're going Speeding. on dates with villains, but yeah. I could go on a date with a villain. I mean. Uh, okay, so if I could go on a date with a villain, it would be, well, does Ella. Emma Frost count? Because. No. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. If, if you're saying oh, no. Emma Frost doesn't count, oh, no. I got a better one. No, oh, you guys no. already know. I'm going on a date with Saturnine. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's not where I thought you were going. I'm fine with that. Yeah. You're going to get squished. I'm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm down bad. I'm down bad. You seen her gloves? <laughs> Have you seen how tall she is? That's my girl, Saturnine. You're yeah. making fun of me with a, a, a supposed foot fetish. Meanwhile, Sean's out here open with his hand fetish. I don't have a hand fetish. It's a glove fetish. He's got a glove <laughs> fetish. It's it's Russell Dauterman designed gloves that I'm into. Oh jeez. Kate Blanchett hella for me. Oh. Does Black Cat count? Yeah. Uh, hell yeah, sure. it does. Yeah. <laughs> Ty. Mm. Oh, what's up, classy? Magog. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> That was such a genuine reaction. I don't, have access to, I don't have access to monsters in the real world. Let's try something different. Uh, okay. All right. From DC? These the uh, This episode brought to you by Badrek. <laughs> okay. That's when we move on. Let's talk about Invincible Season 2. Let's go. We got a teaser trailer. November 3rd is the release date for this, of course, on Amazon. Um, did you guys catch the trailer by any chance? Yeah. Yeah. Bro, I don't watch trailers. All I see is people saying that Spider-Man's going to be in this, and I'm confused. Yeah. That's the big scuttlebutt. So the trailer was cool. It's what you would expect. It's more of the same. I think it looks good. Um, But the big talk coming out of this is that it appears that Spider-Man is actually going to be in this series. So here is the evidence. Josh Keaton, who is the voice actor for Spider-Man... Uh, in like video games and the spectacular Spider-Man series is listed as a new member of the voice cast. And a very quick shot shows uh, Invincible's phone and he's looking at the issue of Marvel team-up where Spider-Man teams up with Invincible. Hmm. So that seems like a pretty sure bet. And I believe in terms of where we are in the story, it kind of lines up to when that happened. Yeah, my my vague memory of those issues that we were forced, I mean, that we read for a book club uh, <laughs> way long ago is that that is accurate, yeah. And it that, I mean, like, like it or not, too, like, that's also, like, a pretty big part of Invincible's whole story. 
Yeah. You know, so. He learned a lot from that interaction. Yeah. Uh, I'm all for that. I think that's really cool. And it's worth pointing out the reason why this is even possible. I mean, maybe Marvel would consent. I doubt it. But the film and television rights of Spider-Man, of course, belong to Sony. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, how do you guys feel about this show? Like, are you hyped about the show's return? I liked it uh, a lot. It was actually very triggering for me, so I'm not going to. No, thank you. Why? Oh. That uh, that that final battle with uh, Omni-Man brought up a lot of bad memories. Gotcha. So I said, actually, uh, no, thank you. Fair. Uh, I like I like the first season a lot. Yeah, so I'll check this out. And, and there's a, and a special coming out too, right? There's a it came out already. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't catch Not Adam. <laughs> I've heard good things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Marco. I've also heard good things. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I do intend to. I don't think I wasn't as high on Invincible as everybody else. Like, it was cool. I yeah, I didn't care for the show as much as I liked the book. Mm. I like what they ended up doing with like how it, it ended up getting paced out. I thought that was a bit quicker to get in and just ground yourself. It, actually, I think that's what I didn't like about the. Mm, I think yeah, I remember that. Show. Like yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna watch this season, you know, at least Same. casually. Um, but I don't anticipate us doing like big reviews like we did. Surely enjoy it. <laughs> uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> We shall see. So, we have reached the point in the show where it is time for the history of the DC Comics implosion, part three. Whoa. Which, yeah, I know, we've been having so much fun. Uh, Which, I do have to announce, this is the last part. This will be the finale. Oh, So uh, we skipped it last week, unfortunately, due to time constraints on our end. But uh, if you guys will recall, in part two, um, we discussed the implosion itself, why it happened, how it happened, what caused it. Uh, We discussed how a blizzard, a really bad blizzard, Superman film not dropping when it was supposed to. It was supposed to come out in June. It came out months and months later. how lagging sales from DC's books before the explosion, uh, which was a publishing initiative on the part of Jeanette Kahn to shore up sales and breathe new life into DC's uh, books and to combat Marvel. Uh, sales before the, the explosion were bad, and so the explosion really never really got off, and, and that's why it was more like an implosion. It was a whimper. It was a wet fart. Um, and they cut their line. They they slashed their line. Uh, they cut the price of comics. They did a lot of um, they did a lot of damage, I guess, damage control. And so I want to refer to Paul Levitz, who did an interview with Thirteenth Dimension in 2015. Paul Levitz was at the time uh, a DC Comics editorial coordinator. He said, "Quote." Um. I'm sorry, actually, this quote that I'm about to read is from the Bronze and Modern Comics podcast, which is a YouTube channel that you guys should check out. It's really good. Uh, Quote, 
not senior enough that anyone in the distribution and corporate management side would listen to a 21-year-old saying your estimates are wrong. I mean, it sucks, but it's not as bad as your estimators are making it out to be. Now, what he's talking about is the fact that when the numbers came in for the prior six months and they were bad, they were sat down and told, okay, it's time we got to do a draft. We got to do something drastic. And he's saying the numbers were wrong. Uh, it wasn't correct. They were judging numbers based on things that DC had no control over, like the aforementioned blizzard. He also said it was bad business. Uh, well, this is in regards to why things might not have worked. Quote, it was bad business in the sense that when you have brand loyalty, making any shift like that, that visibly and that radically has a price tag you're going to pay for a long time. Was it an overcorrection to trim the line down to a shorter line? Probably not. The newsstand business was fading. It was going to continue to fade. The comic shop business was still very small. And DC was not producing very much material that was very good for it by comparison to Marvel. So if you did a trend line from 1978 based on continuing to do business the same way, the most probable, I mean, it looked really, really bad. People did the best they could. We just talked earlier in the show about the idea of a solution to the problem being a return to uh, grocery stores and things of that nature. And here's Paul Levitz, granted in 1978, discussing how that business model was going the way of the dodo hmm. and that it was going to happen independent of any, any uh, actions on the part of publishers. So in my opinion... And this is something I fully intend to talk about more down the road. But in my opinion, the direct market saved comics. Why? Because people were already not buying them. People were already not carrying them. And at that time, it was full returnability. Which means that if you hit a grocery store, right, with a bunch of Superman comics and 30% of them sold to you know, individual people that bought it from the grocery store, that grocery store at the end of the month is going to send every single one of those unsold copies back to DC and DC will have to give them their money back. That's brutal. Imagine if that was the same, if we still had that system today. Yikes. Yo, dude, that hit hard on shops. That's the only way it would work. To, to grocery stores and all those other retailers would never accept comics into their stores without returnability. Mm. Someone, yeah, someone pointed something to that effect out uh, earlier in the week, and I, I don't recall what the conversation was or or, or, or what what the context was, but uh, the the effect was basically that you know. Comic books aren't profitable, even for retailers. So why would a giant mega corporation make space for a physical item that won't sell, won't bring them profit, are hard to find, and hard to keep track of? We saw it with the Walmart initiative. Yeah. Dan Didio tried his best. We saw what happened. It wasn't worth the space. And that was a $7 uh, uh, item, I believe. Mm. Those those Walmart uh, books that they had. 
and it had and the other problem. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. The other problem with that Walmart thing is like you, you had the DC had no presented in individual stores. Um, they they would tell you it would be you know it would be on the scene you know, of the book section or whatever. I never I found it once. Yeah, same. In all the WalMarts I went to, uh, they were just a mess, and most of them were just people because they, it was an affordable price, so people would buy them and then resell. Them. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, not everyone has access to Walmart. For example, I've never seen one of those. I don't they're have. The, they're not in the city. If I wanted to get that, I would have to buy it from a reseller for probably at the bare minimum double the price. Hmm. I'm not gonna do that for what a, a, a Brian Michael Bendis Batman story. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it, that was the best thing you did in DC. Honestly, I'm yeah. sure it was. Not paying twenty bucks for it. Um, so it, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And the industry was already suffering from this at that point. Um, and so the pivot to the direct market, this is a big reason why Marvel was doing so well, because they had the foresight to say, wait, we can kill in the direct market. We can make books tailored directly to our audience. DC was slow on that. DC was trying to make their money through the newsstand who was saying, yeah, we're done with this. I don't care if it's a dollar. I don't care what it is. We're not doing this. So a whole bunch of DC's books were cut. They called the line. I showed last week how different the line was after the DC Comics implosion. What the line looked like in, in 79 was radically different than what it looked like in 78, and it's a shame. The biggest book that was technically kind of sort of canceled, but not really, is Detective Comics. Detective Comics was nearly canceled in favor of Batman Family, the dollar comic that sold very well, even in the midst of the implosion. Batman Family was then renamed Detective Comics starring the Batman Family. Now, I have an image up on the screen if you guys are watching us on YouTube, and that is what the cover looked like. If you had to guess, based on only that cover, what is this book called? Batman Family. It says Batman Family in big-ass letters and Detective Comics kind of smaller and in the uh, little bit uh, behind it. So clearly the Batman Family branding was something that people associated with quality, whereas Detective Comics just wasn't selling. But DC... Uh, staffers who remained after the implosion advocated and went to bat for uh, the, the retention of Detective Comics. Uh, so this is what Paul Levitt said about that time. Quote, there was a, about a day or two in there when we were talking about canceling Detective. I think actually it was Mike Gold who was very passionately rose to his defense, pointing out that that's what the company was named after and we couldn't do that. So the book would have pretty much been the same book either way, but certainly it was a better thing historically to keep the detective name alive. We owe a debt to Mike for that. Imagine if they had just there just wasn't a detective comics. <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Like that's like uh there's not an action comics on the stand, you know? Right. So has there, has there been a point since where detective comics hasn't been on the stands? No, right? Not to my knowledge. Not for very long, if if ever. I mean, as far back as I can remember reading DC, um, 
Detective Comics was like uh, telling side stories to what Grant was doing in mm. in Batman at the time, and then you had like the Batman Eternal idea, I believe, that started in Detective Comics. They had like their own version of that, and then it spun out to its own thing. Paul Dini also had a, a a great run at the time, so that's that. But that's only what I know of. Uh, according to at least Wikipedia, uh, it, the original numbering was up until 2011, and then the New 52 relaunched it. But 2016, it came back to that original numbering. So presumably, it hasn't not been in publication. Okay. Okay. Um. So what happened after the implosion? In the immediate aftermath of the implosion, DC dramatically cut their line of books and even more dramatically slashed their staff. The day the axe came down. DC staff was forced to tell freelancers that their time with DC was up. Mike Barr said this in back issue number two from February 2004. When the implosion fell, I and other DC staffers were given a list of freelancers whose assignments had just been canceled with orders to tell them to stop work immediately. Even I knew that was nothing more than a signal to a freelancer to pull an all-nighter to finish the assignment before delivery. Amazing how many freelancers I contacted had finished the jobs they were working on just before I told them to quit. I hadn't known things were that bad. So what happened to all the explosion books that were done, that were ready to be shipped out and printed? This was a lot of work that was completed. A ton of books were done and ready to ship that just never came out. What happened? Well... Turns out they were released, but not to the masses, in something called the Cancelled Comics Cavalcade. I've been dying to talk about this. CCC. Yes. As a means of establishing copyright on the material, the remaining staff at DC decided to collect it all and publish it as the Cancelled Comic Cavalcade. Paul Kupperberg, who was then DC Comics Public Relations Assistant, did an interview in 2007, and he said the following. I did the grunt work on the CCC, assembling all the material from various editors, arranging it all, and dealing directly with the printing. The printing and binding itself was done in the Warner Brothers print shop, which was in the basement of 75 Rockefeller Center, where DC then had its officers, by a gentleman named Neil. The CCC was composed of Xerox copies between heavy blue paper covers, glued square spine held together by a strip of black binding tape. We went crazy and commissioned covers from Alex Suviak and Al Milgram. Everybody gets hit by a truck, but they probably worked for free to be in on the joke or to get a copy. Like I said, we did this cheap. This wasn't made to last. It was made to be sent to the copyright office. So basically, huh. oh, go ahead, Kill. No, I, uh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, but also, Hound just said he has a Xerox copy of the CCC. Not one of the 40, but a copy of the copy, which I think is really funny. Hell yeah. And I love the fact that he has it. I, I wish I had one, too. Uh, so there are only... I think it's. I think the official number is 42? It's between 40 and 42. Um, I think it's 52, no? New 52? <laughs> and so all the creators who were involved got one. Uh, they sent one to the copyright offices. They sent one to... A person who, um, who uh, at the time was like a major 
publisher of one of those like magazines that talks about comics just to prove the existence of the material. Now, I managed to find the com- the canceled comics cavalcade online. And so I read what I could. These stories by and large were not good. And if this is an example of the kind of books that DC was putting out at the time, then it's really no surprise to me that they were losing the battle with Marvel and imploded. Like they were pretty bad, I thought. And this is not work that was rushed to completion to fit into the CCC. This is the work that was coming out of the explosion. And I thought it was bad. I wonder if, if Atomic Hound disagrees with that perspective, but I just I couldn't find myself in them. I'm a modern reader. My sensibilities and tastes are not the same as they were back then for, for people who were reading books at the time, but I was not a fan of what I read. You would not like Crisis on Infinite Earths then. <laughs> <laughs> Eh, maybe not. Um, it's sad. If you look at the cover, maybe it's hard to tell because it's in black and white. But if you if you're watching on YouTube, if you look, the, the the those are all the creators just getting hit by a car. And the the one on the right says, um, "What I can't even read it because <laughs> it's so it's so tough to it's so tough to read." But it says. Um, Unemployment Inc. or something to that nature. So it was a joke for the creators. It was a joke for the staff. Might as well have fun with it, I guess. Did DC ever put this out as a collecting edition further down the line? No. Like, I feel like they would be greedy enough to do that. You know, like, let's make money on this thing now. So no to that, but some of the stories did find their way into back matter in other series and titles um not all of them but some of them um and it's unfortunate because diversity was cut a lot of characters that were women minorities their books were culled from dc's line characters that didn't really have a chance at success um one of the most fascinating things that i learned in doing this and to be totally honest one of the major reasons why I wanted to do this in the first place was because Larry Hama was one of the creators who was fired during this time. Of course, Larry Hama is known for G.I. Joe, right? Um, but what I love Larry from is a book that was supposed to be a DC comic that ended up not being one. Bucky O'Hare. Does anyone here know Bucky? Yeah. Hell yeah. Bucky O'Hare. There's some great action figures of Bucky O'Hare out there. I love Bucky O'Hare. The Bucky O'Hare uh, arcade game was my favorite when I was a kid. And I didn't know until now, until I started doing research for this project, that it was originally supposed to be a DC comic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bucky O'Hare. Yeah, yeah. The proto rocket raccoon, almost like a like a Star Fox character before Star Fox is a thing. Yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's sad because DC changed a lot after this. DC became a lot more corporate. The environment in the offices wasn't fun anymore. Creators talked about how it used to feel like a party at DC's offices. Yeah, it was open communication. Doors were open. 
people were available. It was fun. And after the implosion, there were less people, no happiness. The pizza party stopped. Everything changed. Len Wein on the Nerdist Comics panels back in the day um, used to talk about how they would have like shirtless re- wrestling matches in the in the uh, in the bullpen. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, they were having a blast. Maybe they're having too much yeah. fun. Well, like it. You guys, you guys don't wrestle your coworkers shirtless. Uh, I haven't met really. any of you guys yet. No. I, I, I know Marco Stratton. <laughs> so quickly, I've just been just curious to see if one of these uh, canceled comic cavalcades is out there. Mm. So it looks like someone had it at one point. I can't tell the date on this um, on this web page, but it um, uh, it looks like it's. It's selling or sold or whatever for fifteen hundred pound. For us so probably, dumb American idiots, what's that? I mean, probably two thousand dollars. Not as expensive as I would have I would have guessed for the limited quantity that there is. So there's a reason for that. There is a it's very difficult to ensure the authenticity of these. Yeah especially since they were Xeroxed in the first place. Right. Um, it, I, I mean, I could see... It, I, I guess, like, maybe someone wouldn't want to pay $2,000-plus for uh, even a real copy, but, again, yeah. it's difficult to authenticate them. Unless you're buying it directly from one of the people that had it originally, you probably can't know that you have a real one. It also says it's a very rare reprint set. So... It's probably like hounds. It's a, a yeah, a, a, a a what's it of a what's it? Right. If it's a reprint, then that's not it's not real. It's not authentic. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, for similarly edition of uh, CCC. Yes, yes. So for her part, Jeanette Khan said this about the implosion. Comics didn't keep up with inflation, which also added to its disposable quality. If we raised cover prices, that would be a start of many, many kinds of changes we had to do to get comics as an art form. She's saying that comics were disposable. She's saying that the perception of people at the time was that comics were junk. Junk food for kids. Not different than McDonald's. She wanted to turn comics into filet mignon. She wanted comics to mean something. She led the charge as far as making the paper stock better because then people wouldn't want to throw them away the way they did before. The reason why there are so few of the rarest comics ever, like Action Comics number one, is not just because it was so long ago, but also because the paper quality was so bad that a lot of people's red copies are just deteriorated. They're not good quality. She wanted to change that. She said it was an experiment that came too early. Hmm. I think it's an experiment that came too late. I think that comics should have cost more to keep up with the Time magazines of the world, to show people that they matter, that they're worth having on your shelf. But 
as we know, it took years for the standard comic price to become $1. Let alone two. What are the profit margins on that? In 1990-whatever, if I remember correctly, Image Comics put comics at $1.25. 90s. But but do you think that the increase in price would then translate to people saying, oh, this is of more value? Like, if, if the mindset is this isn't the like, – we're not getting – are bang for a buck here and they're increasing the price like what it's still it to me it sounds like the the thinking is the consumer still feels it's disposable and now they're disposing of a dollar or a dollar 25 instead of you know 50 cents i also wonder if, um if you extrapolate from there uh we'd be drawing the line at 7.99 you know a couple years ago uh, if we had made things expensive way back when well i think that again it's, you know, I'm open to being wrong about this, but my opinion is that the perception of comics had to do with the presentation of comics. And the presentation of comics was that it was cheap, that it was for kids. And that profit margin didn't exist for the grocery stores. It didn't exist for the newsstand. So they stopped carrying it. They kept carrying time because time was worth having on their shelf we just talked about the walmart books at seven dollars not even being worth walmart carrying to me if comics became more expensive earlier and story quality and page quality paper quality increased at the same time then it might have attracted a more serious reader it might have attracted someone who thought of it as an art form how we're still struggling to get people to take comics seriously to this day. It's 2023. One of the things I'll never forget about Marco, one of the first things he, he said was that in his culture, in his family, comics were seen as immature. Is the, am, I, am I accurate on that? Yeah, low art. It wasn't worth time. Right. We've been fighting that war since the inception of comics. And the price... And the paper quality and the quality of the creativity, all are factors in that. Now, I want to close this by saying some words about a person that this is the most, this is the biggest thing I got out of this, this whole DC implosion history has been about Jeanette Kahn and what an incredible woman she was or is excuse me um and the impact on comics that she had someone that i think doesn't get nearly as much respect or uh admiration or coverage as they should so because that doesn't happen elsewhere i'll do it here today jeanette khan was a legitimate trailblazer she is responsible for so much of dc's rebound from the implosion in the 80s limited series more mature themes, and the British invasion all happened under her purview. She became the editor-in-chief of DC in 89 and oversaw the rise and fall of Vertigo and Milestone, which are two publishing initiatives whose impacts are still felt to this day. We have a very different comics industry if it's not for Vertigo, in my opinion. 100% agreed. She was a champion for creators' rights 
advocating for and delivering on royalties and other things that gave creators a financial stake in their book's success. If it wasn't for that, creators like Alan Moore, creators like Mark Miller, creators whose names ring out even now, may not have made the jump across the pond to work for DC. And there's a reason why they went to DC directly. And it's because of these kinds of things that Jeanette was doing. When Jeanette started at DC Comics, there were two women on staff. Two. She started at 28 years old in 1976, in January of 1976. The first woman and the youngest person to become president of a division. That's wild. When she left DC Comics after 27 years in a leadership role, almost half of the staff were women. And quite frankly, we know and seen how women were treated after she left. We've heard the stories. We know all about it. Eddie Braganza was a piece of shit who preyed on women and kept them out of editorial at, uh, uh, for Superman. Jeanette Kahn deserves a lot more credit for the things that she did and the impact that she had on the comics industry. And she's since moved on and she's, she's done um, film producing and things of that nature. So she's still seeing a lot of success in other venues. But I think the thing that she did that people will remember her for most is what she did at DC. And the implosion which some would argue is ultimately her fault, is a blip on the radar in a larger career that, in my opinion, puts her on the Mount Rushmore of important people to comics, particularly to DC Comics. So I just want to say thank you to Jeanette Kahn for all the things that you've done to make comics what they are. And that's where we're going to leave it on the DC implosion. Was this fun? Yeah, hell yeah. Good stuff. Good to reflect on, I think, and, and especially how we started the conversation. It's good to reflect on how things have changed, maybe things haven't, and how a lot of the problems are still being solved. Or not being solved. Or, <laughs> or getting exacerbated. Yeah, ignored. I had a lot of fun doing this. I had a lot of fun researching this. I learned a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to present this to you guys. Thank you for your patience. Thank you three for your patience and allowing me to do this and the audience for supporting it and showing up and, 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 and saying you enjoy it, um, asking for it. You know, in the lull period between Twilight of the Superheroes and this, one of the most uh, sent in comments was, what's next? Yeah. Uh, when we did our survey that I'm very grateful that people responded to. One of the things that people said a lot was they wanted more of that kind of storytelling here on the podcast. And um, I'm just very thankful to have the opportunity to do this. Hmm. Um, and hopefully we can do more. You guys let us know if you want it. And what you want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I know everybody wants? Ice cream. Oh. Other than ice cream. And I don't want it because I'll die if I have it. Well, sloppy toppy. No.
A draft. Everybody loves myself. a good draft. Oh, I burned my card. <laughs> um, we're going to get into a draft. And as you can see, if you're watching us live or, you know, watching us at all, we've got X-Men villains on there. And so this week's draft is going to be drafting a team of X-Men villains that can defeat the X-Men. Now, for the purposes of this draft, you are not allowed to choose something like Orcus or the mm. Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You cannot choose a group. You can only choose individual villains. Yeah. Does Magneto okay. count? Yes. Any character, for the sake of okay. this, any character who, who, whose origin is, oh, is as villains. a villain is, is valid for this. Sure. Okay. So, like, in my opinion, Magneto would count, but Moira would not count. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. We all we're all on the same page. Emma Frost. What if counts? What if they were introduced as a villain, but historically our hero? Then like what? Then, in my opinion, they count. That would count. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like all right. Oh, damn. Good to know. Tyler has one. <laughs> bro, bro, I'm I'm chilling in Krakoa right now. I'm ready. I I'm gonna. This will be what I think I'm gonna suffer with. This is gonna be fun. All right, now you know the drill. I got my X Men dice right here, and I'm going to roll them for initiative. We're going to see what the oh, order is going to be. It'll be a snake draft. Um, Tyler will go last. <laughs> yeah, I had to get out of the window. Right now. I don't have a wind filter right now, so. So here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll first for Tyler. All right, power of Krakoa, come on. Here we go. A six. That's respectable. Not out bad. of ten or out of twelve? Out of twelve, yeah. That's a five. I don't know. That's not respectable. It's shit. Oh, all right. I'll roll for myself now. Oh shit! We only count the one die now. It was a seven, but I'm not gonna count it because it fell off. It is a seven again. What do you know? Kale? Weighted ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is an 11. Do you still want to complain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Marco? A four. Ooh. So Thank God, finally, the streak's broken. The order will be Kale, myself, Tyler, then Marco. Marco will draft twice up front, and then someone else is going to have to help figure out who how that goes in the snake draft. Wait, doesn't Kale go first? Yeah, that's what I said. Oh. But Marco goes again at the end of this round, and we go back down. Right. Yeah, and then you go twice because right. you're first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We figured this out, I think. we All of us watch the NFL yeah, draft, know, right? Yeah, we got this. We got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Kale, you're up, buddy. Uh, to be honest, uh, I'm going to come out heavy and um, – Sean's going to hate me for this. I know I'm what very, you're going to do. I know very, what you're going to do. Very Kale, glad. Do it. Do it. I'm very glad I got to go first. No. Uh, the Phoenix. Oh, good. That's good. Uh, And I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> no, she's valid. I would have done it. That was my first pick. Well, what's your first pick now, Sean? Well, Kale, can I actually have a clarifying question? The cosmic dark. entity. I don't give a the shit. Phoenix, who it the is. Phoenix Force or Dark Phoenix? The is there one. a distinction, Sean? To me, yes. Uh, dark Phoenix counts. Phoenix does not count. 
but I understood what Kale meant. Okay. The bat, yeah, okay. the yeah, bat gotcha. Yeah. It is the Jean Grey the... inhabited by the Phoenix Forest. Yes. Okay. To uh, me... Preferably not Jean Grey, but yeah, fine. If I have to have her, that's the one I'll sure. take. Yep. Well, I'm going to go big too. And I'm going to choose Onslaught. Oh! <laughs> okay. He took Marcos. All right. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, ooh, this is a tough one because I have two options here that I really I did. Like. I thought, I'm like, oh, I'm going to lean um, to the meme. No one's going to get it. I'm going to go, oof, I got to go Apocalypse. Give me Apocalypse, oh. baby. Yeah. Yep. Marco, you're in a good spot right now, actually. Okay. okay. If you if you read X-Men comics that aren't Onslaught Saga. Uh, Nimrod. Oh. Okay. And I have Magneto. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's valid. Okay. So back to me, all right? Um... Give me, give me the Shadow King. Yo, why are you guys taking all my picks? Great one. So then that would make who next, Kale? You. No, you. you. Kale goes at the top. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I am going to draft. I'm going to draft Master Mold. Which, of course, you know, if you know Master Mold, includes a legion of Sentinels. So, Kale goes twice? Yeah. All right. Just making sure that this person is a villain and that I have their name correct. Nope, that's not who I want. What is this guy's name? That's who I want. Okay. Destiny. Sure. Oh, interesting. Second pick, Mojo. Okay. I like it. Mojo's good, yeah. So, Marco's next? How many were we doing, by the way? Five. No, it goes back, goes back okay. to you, Sean. No, it goes, goes back, back to you, Sean. Sean yeah. and then it goes back to yeah. me. Okay. Like a snake. I'm never going to understand this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just telling the truth. Um, I'm going to choose... Exodus. Okay. Give me our favorite villain, Mr. Sinister. Oh, oh nice. Nice, nice. Um, me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you get... Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. And Arcade. Arcade. Oh, damn. That was, that was going to be one of my, like, weird picks. Okay. That's a good one. Um, Frost. Someone had to take her. Yeah. How many are we doing? Five. Thank God. So Kale's up or me? It's you. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's still you again. <laughs> I need, yeah. Someone other than me has to control the order. Um, I am going to pick Saturnine. My last pick. I'm so, going to do. This is the last one, right? Did I? I, yeah. I maybe I missed yours. I have you as Dark Phoenix, Destiny, and Mojo. You get two more, Cal. Oh, I. Oh shit. That's it. So it technically is your last round, but yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
Just say the one you knew already, and then you could. <laughs> Jason Stryker. Ah. All right. And for my last pick, I'm going to do the biggest villain of them all. Charles Xavier himself. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, I was hoping that would buy me enough time to come up with someone. <laughs> uh, Marco said Juggernaut. Some glaring omissions here that I'm surprised about. Toad. I got two. I'm out. I got Toad? Toad? Nothing right. else. I got nothing else. <laughs> Damn, I got two. Sean, what's the Halle Berry quote? Oh, uh, what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? <laughs> the same thing that happens to everything else. Well, he'll be he'll be inhabited by the phoenix. It's fine. Oh, yeah. oh phoenix toad. Here we go. Uh, who's next? You. Uh, that'd be me. Okay. Um, no, it's Sean. 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 Sean goes. Uh, oh yeah. No yeah yeah. I can't win. You're up, Sean. This is your last one. Yeah. Um. So for my last pick, um, I'm gonna break up. I'm gonna break a couple up. And mm. I am going to choose Genesis, Apocalypse's wife. Ooh. His wife. Good. Uh, I'll finish it off with Sean's favorite, uh, Cassandra Nova. Oh. Nice. Nice. I like how we're all going for the big ones because, like, the Brotherhood is just, like, street-level stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. there's so many Same down there. Truth. Yeah. Speaking of uh, which, Marco, you're up. You want to go with Sam? Well, yeah. Listen, we are, we're going bad. We're going bad guys. We don't want straight up villains, right? Like, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do Goblin Queen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Madeline Absolutely. Pryor. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Use her a few times already. Man, uh, we didn't. So who's missing? <laughs> Just so people Ooh, stop had, saying it in the chat. No I also Saber had Tooth. Mystique. Yeah, no Mystique. Mystique. No uh, Death Strike, Pyro, Blob, Silver okay. Samurai, Omega Red. Vulcan, oh, yeah. Omega Red. Oh, of oh, course. Omega Red. I love Omega gang. Red. Yeah. Gang, gang. Idiot. Yeah. Perry Perry Senator Kelly. <laughs> In goop form. Yes, bro. Absolutely. So here are the teams. Here's what we assembled. Marco has Nimrod, Magneto, Juggernaut, Arcade, and the Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor. I have huh. Onslaught, Master Mold, Exodus, Saturnine and Genesis. Kale had Dark Phoenix, Destiny, Mojo, Jason Stryker, and Toad. <laughs> while Tyler had Apocalypse, Mr. Sinister, Shadow King, Emma Frost, and Cassandra Nova. I love Kale's is just like hit, hit, hit. And it's like, yo, my Toad. name Toad is yo. <laughs> <laughs> well he'll be he'll be Phoenix Force, and then Stryker will turn him into weapon T or something. So <laughs> My other one I was thinking was, was, was Rogue because she debuted as a Brotherhood of. Uh, oh, that's good. Okay. Um, in an Avengers annual book, but yeah, I didn't wind up picking it. I'm confident in mine. Actually, I feel pretty good. Oh, Deadpool! Yeah, X Force villain. That's good. Uh, I'm, tired of, I'm, tired I'm also confident that mine would wipe out the X Men because <laughs> the Phoenix has done it so many times. Hmm. And also, the X Men just die all the time. All the time. Like, like the, the, the catchphrase when Kitty Pride joined was, hope you survive. Like, <laughs> Hope you survive the experience. Yeah. Well, Freaking, although, yeah. They had to they had to create a whole island where they can be resurrected so that they can have an X-Men line. Like, Technically, though, 
just throwing this out there. The only person on this list who has actually defeated the entire the entirety of the X-Men is Onslaught. He ended everything. Yeah, and my interest in the X-Men. Well, <laughs> yeah. Most people's interest in Marvel, but be that as it may. The true, yeah, the real uh, the real bad guy. So, chat, let us know who you thought won this one. It's ultimately up to you guys. Who do you feel won? What's the criteria criteria for winning? Whatever you say it is. Uh, nobody said the Inhumans. <laughs> Black Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 who was the editor? Who was the head of Marvel at the time? Terrigan Mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Legacy <laughs> Virus. Yeah, yeah. No, no Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian Shaw. That's Pearl Mutter. That's what I was thinking of. Like oh, Pearl Mutter. That's yeah. the real oh, villain. Sebastian yeah. Shaw is good. Racism. Holocaust. Ooh, Jeffrey Groom in the chat with Holocaust. That's a good one that I really wish I had thought of. The the villain, not the event. Let's, right, just, let's right. be clear here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. To be fair, the Holocaust also villain. For an X-Men character. That's true. Yeah. Indeed. Sean, um, uh, Red Skull Onslaught, or uh, which one are you doing? Red oh, Skull oh, Onslaught. Pr Professor X and Magneto. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Krakoa's a villain in Maze. Nobody took it. That's funny. Technically, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Debuted as a villain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so chat, let us know who you think won. I love doing these drafts. If you've got ideas for Martin, drafts. Can you put up a quick poll? Sorry. Sorry, Sean. Yeah, you're good. Oh, yeah, that would yeah. be great. Uh, that's actually what I was trying to spur to happen by repeating oh, myself over and over again. Um, <laughs> uh, if you have ideas for drafts that you would like us to do, submit them. Let us know. Because we love doing them. We're going to do them every week anyway. So might as well be uh, listener submitted if you guys are into it. Uh, and that's going to that's gonna lead us into our plugs. I want to say thank you for listening. I want to say that if you want to support us, Patreon.com is the best place to do that. Patreon.com slash the comics pals rather is the best place to do that. We're always giving you bang for your buck over there. Um, we have a lot of exclusive content, including a, an exclusive show called Palling Around. You get to vote in the book club poll, which uh, the Patreon, with the patrons rather, are always enjoying. And now we've got lobbying going on. It's fun. The more people join, the more fun all this stuff gets. Um, we also have newsletters that go out every single week. You get a nickname and a shout out on the show, as you heard earlier. Lots of fun stuff happening over on our Patreon page. If you want to watch this show live, you can do that every single Saturday at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern. Thursdays at 6 p.m. for Pals Pulls. Uh, and uh, our next book club is going to be Pulp, actually, which is the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips book that's dropping on the 1st of August. So get your copy of Pulp ready. And uh, it's a brisk read, so if you haven't read it yet, ever, uh, and you're interested in our chat, pick up a copy. At your local library. Or if they have a retailer. Yeah. Yeah, your LCS, you know, wherever it is you like to get your comic books. Uh, join our Discord server. It's always having a lot of fun over there. Everything else at the Comics Pals. Kale. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Comics Pals. You can find me on instagram only i'm done Ooh. i've had it 
Wow. I jumped. I said I would stay on Twitter. It's not 20 Twitter anymore. I'm done. I'm on Instagram only. At Toto Into, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work at killward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Nice. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Marco Inamoto on Instagram and Twitter and threads and TikTok. And be real. Be real. <laughs> Yeah, bro, we gotta catch up with these kids, man. Yeah, Come you gotta, on, be, you gotta be real, Sean. You gotta be real. You gotta be fucking real, dude. Oh shit, uh, Tyler. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Instagram, Threads, X, at the Tyler Olson. Um, Comic Spouse is gonna be on Blue Sky starting next week. I already have the account. Thanks to Speak Collins for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so maybe you'll see me on Blue Sky soon once I get those invites. Phil Collins um, sent us one. <laughs> Pete Collins, an incredible artist, the Collins, the artist yeah. behind the uh, the Bardic Versus. Bardic Versus. Thank you. I was oh. going to say Band of Bards. I don't even know what that is. Uh, yeah, the Bardic Versus. It is something. It is right. Yeah, I'm not insane. Well, I am, but maybe not for that reason. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. So if you want to chat, hit me up. And to close out, it looks like. With only two minutes and five votes, Marco has won the poll with 60% of the votes. Woo! And Tyler and I, who arguably had the most powerful teams, got a flat zero. Because they weren't. Marco wrote and made that poll, so I don't trust him. Yeah, he probably voted. (laughs) What? He probably voted in it. Uh, Kale had 40% of the vote. Damn. Yeah. We'll leave you there. We hope to see you next week we hope you have a great weekend we love you we thank you until next time we're the comics pal signing off